heresy, and betrayal. These are the words being used to describe the treachery of the War Master Horus and his three brothers, Materian, Fulgrim, and Angron, against the innocent hive world of Estvan III. Once a flourishing planet, now a wasteland, desolate and lifeless after the Emperor's favored son unleashed the Imperium's greatest weapon, the deadly Life Eater Virus. However, all is not lost. Some valiant legionnaires survived the onslaught thanks to quick thinking and a timely warning. Hidden deep within a bunker under the Coral City, these legionnaires broadcast the truth across the galaxy. Forever hunted, they have vowed to broadcast as long as possible and remain free. Radio Free Istvan. What's going on, guys? This is Michael with Radio Free Istvan, and uh, we actually have a... Different co-host, uh, he's going to be more regular on the show, but, you know, he's going to be not taking Pretty's place, but, you know, whenever Pretty can't record, we're going to have him on, and we'll actually, at some point, I'm pretty sure you hear all three of us, just, uh, just a menage a RFI, but uh, we got <laughs> Ryan here. Ryan, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, what's up? What's up, everybody? I'm Ryan. Uh live here in Indiana, but I'm an honorary Texan for this podcast. That's right. You're as Texas as anybody I know. I mean, just just your your core values. You're a Texan. Well, we're Indiana and Texas are pretty close. Um, the way I always look at it is, you have to truly believe, or at least pretend to believe, in one of three things, or in two of three things. You have to love Jesus. Yep. Hate hate the government and be really into guns. So you got to either uh, be be actually truly believe in two of those three things or all three of those things, or at least pretend to and you to get go. along. You made it. <laughs> you're, you're there. You're, you're as Texas as anybody here. Four, four wheel drive truck for extra credit. That'll get you in. I mean, that's like, that'll get you city council. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just like Ryan said, we're broadcasting out of the, heart of texas the well actually not even the, really the heart like the the beer gut of texas is where we're at it's going to be victoria texas and then you're over in indianapolis right uh about 30 minutes south but yeah really close to indianapolis yeah where they apparently raid houses for military training exercises and all that but <laughs> we won't go into that found that it was kind of weird but you know hey we're not going to go into that so this is Radio Free Istvan. Uh, we actually have a pretty cool show lined up for you guys. Uh, we had both had events going on, so we're both actually going to talk about our events. I'm going to talk about my uh, Alamo GT, and Ryan's going to talk about his Mallets Malay that they had going on. Both 30K events, and we're also going to talk about a cool escalation campaign that's going to be global, worldwide, and also is going to include all the podcasts. And when I say all the podcasts, I mean all the podcasts because we all work together and are going to bring this to you. And then we're going to have a break, and then we're going to go into a... We're going to review a list. Uh, it's going to be an Imperial Fist list uh, that we actually got in from Variance Hammer. Uh, it's going to... It's a board... What is it? Vo void War boarding action kind of list. So we actually went over that, and uh, that'll be at the end of the show for you guys. Uh, but first, uh, let's go to some hobby progress. Ryan, what are you working on right now? Or what have you been working on since since I last talked to you? Uh, well, the big thing I got done was I built a Blood Angel Hellhammer. Oh, so, so good. In 30K, you can, in the Marine Army list, there's a little... Uh, 
whatever you want to call it, uh, an aside, a, a little box in the army construction thing that says if you have a super heavy that doesn't have rules, um, but it's in like other Forge World books or GW books, uh, like, you know, that they haven't made a profile yet in Heresy, you can use it and you can buy Marine crew for it and all that stuff. Um, but if it, if it, as long as it doesn't have a profile in another uh, army list already. So what happened was I won a uh, Blood and Skull Industry conversion kit for like a Bane Blade at Adepticon, and I didn't really know what to do with it, and I'd never really seen Blood and Skull stuff. So when I got it home, I looked up uh, what his converted tanks looked like and fell in love with it. So I uh, went to all my Imperial Armor books and my Escalation book and dug through there to find something that was close to a Bane Blade that they didn't make a profile for that I could build a tank for my uh, Blood Angels out of. And I ended up settling on a Hellhammer and ordered some more uh, Blood and Skull parts to convert it uh, fully and got it assembled and painted. And it looks sweet, dude. I mean, it's got... If, if y'all don't know the Blood Angel rules, the Blood Angel rules let you swap out any heavy flamer with an assault cannon. So if you read the Hellhammer rules, this thing could take like heavy flamers on every sponson and then on top of that it can take a pencil mounted heavy flamer so ryan's got this thing like decked out with assault cannons and, and is the front turret a twin linked assault cannon as well right yes it it's take it? five five twin linked assault cannons a pencil mounted assault cannon a demolisher cannon four las cannons a and then a uh, coaxial auto cannon, and it is coaxial to the actual Hellhammer cannon. And what's the range on the Hellhammer cannon? Is that a twenty-four inch range? It's, it's the exact same stats as the Typhon main gun. Oh, so it's thirty-six inch range, strength ten, AP one, seven inch blast, ordnance ignores cover. And then with the auto cannon being coaxial, thirty uh, K uses the old style coaxial rule where. If you hit with the, you fire the coaxial weapon first, and if it hits, the main gun becomes twin linked. God, I hope they never make some rule where you can just deep strike that in, <laughs> like some super mega ship that you can just like drop pot it in, or just like like the uh, the coffins for the the warlords and the like the the deep strike coffins. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'll have to figure out a way to get it out flank. That would be the most fun. Just drive it on from yeah. the board edge. And the back of your enemy's deployment zone, and just start shooting the shit out of them. Take a take some Emperor's Children ally, and use the Marascara. I don't know if that'll work. Oh. I don't know. I probably wouldn't do it anyway, but I'm sure there's a way to get it. If I really started digging, maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think having it try and like traverse across the board is probably the most balancing effect that you could do for that kind of tank. I mean, it is a super heavy. It can still move 12 inches and still fire every one of those guns at a different target. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's just, you know, the, the, the trick is to get behind it. That's, that's where the, (laughs) and just stay behind it. Yeah. Well, that's what the rest, that's what the rest of the list is for to prevent you from doing that. Put a, put a like Leviathan directly in front of it, but a contemptor behind it. And it's like, you got to pick, (laughs) <laughs> how you how you want to roll that so it, but, it does cost 740 points so it's only 10 points shy of a warhound so 
I mean, it's not the most points efficient thing, but it does look pretty cool. It looks Definitely. badass. If you haven't seen Definitely it, guys, a conversation piece. yeah. If you haven't seen it, go to South Texas 30K, uh, or you can go to the Blood Angels 30K uh, Facebook pages, and you'll see it on there. It's such a good looking model. Ryan did a great job just like painting it, and like it's just gonna fit. Shout right. out to that Blood and Skulls guy. Uh, he makes. Uh, awesome stuff i was really happy with his kits i mean it's it's got every piece every conversion piece that that guy sells is on that tank the sponsons the turrets the weapons themselves the tracks the exhaust the turret ring the main turret all all that stuff is his conversion bits no yeah he's uh, it's thomas over there he's actually a super nice guy to meet up with uh and talk with i mean hands down some of his conversion pieces they are they, they fit so well. They're not like uh, the tolerances are really good with them. So it's, he makes some solid stuff. If you haven't checked him out, he's blood and skulls industries on eBay. You can find his store on, I think it's only on eBay is where you can find it, but he's also, yeah, his, his eBay seller name. I mean, it's blood and skull industries, but his like seller name is machinator. Yeah. Seller name. Yeah. Machinator is his, uh, I don't know if it's docket. No, uh, uh, bolter and chain sort name. Okay. So he's uh he's machinator on Bolter and Chainsword. Uh he does all the conversions himself and then he resin casts them for everybody and they fit perfectly and they make super nice tanks. He actually makes a uh a horse heresy kit. Uh if you go to our YouTube channel, uh which is Warhammer30k.com, uh you can see Simon in one of his segments called Betray or a Born no straight out of Calth. I'm sorry. We, we changed the name so many times. It's uh, straight out of Calth, and he actually takes a rhino and converts it over using one of his kits to look like the Horus Heresy rhino. And that kit is solid, man. It's such a good looking kit. I actually just ordered one uh, for my Blood Angels for uh, to make a Bile Predator. So I'm super excited for that to come in. That should be in next week. Sweet. Speaking so, of speaking of Bile Predators, that's the other thing I've been working on is Predators and I made the uh, baby version of the Hellhammer and got it finished up last night. Uh, I got two more of those to do. I'm going to have a squadron of three of them. So, like, how are you, like, are you just going to, like, just rush them forward? Because are they, are they fast or are they just, like... They are fast. If you take them in an armored breakthrough list, they become fast. So a fast tank can move six inches and fire all of its guns. That's nonsense. That's... So, <laughs> so my Predators with the four assault cannons on them will... You know, I can move six and still fire all four assault cannons at 24 inches range after the six inch move. So 30 inch threat range. And then if you move back a little bit, I'll just, you know, still move. I'll just move 12 fire fast vehicle can fire two guns at full ballistic skill at 12 inches. So I'll move up, fire two at full ballistic skill and just snap fire the other two. So you, you, you have no worries about that 24 inch range limit. Like you're going to get there. You're gonna get in faces. Um, yeah, and the rest of the list is like I got a, I got some jet bikes which obviously move twelve and then shoot thirty six, um, and then I have uh, some attack bikes with salt cannons on them, so they move twelve and then shoot twenty four, so that's you know pretty far threat range, um, and then I have some uh, veterans and stuff and some rhinos. The rhinos obviously have assault cannons on them too. The veterans. Uh, have melted bombs and stuff, so I'll be able to screen uh, for my tanks. So with the, I'm hoping, like, basically I can just... The list is designed to be, like, super mobile while also putting out a wall of fire. 
So the idea is, you know, a lot of times, like if you have fight a really shooty list, it's usually like a gun line style list. So you can like drop pot in on it or try to outmaneuver it or whatever. This, the idea behind this list is to build something that puts out just as much firepower as a gun line, but can essentially army wide redeploy 24 inches a turn if I so choose. Yes. Because if I, I could skip like, okay, so you drop pot in on me. Okay, that's cute. I forego one round of shooting and move all my tanks 24 inches away from you. And oh, then so, so you would opt to not be near somebody who drop potted in. You just right. Like, I just leave. Just that's, leave. that's so. And brutal. then it's like, okay, cool. Like I miss a turn of shooting, but you know I'm really far away from you. And then on my next turn, I can move another six, six or twelve inches away, and then still shoot. And then just basically reset my deployment. And now you're stuck wherever you drop potted in it. Oh, I never, I never thought about like I thought if somebody drop potted on you, you'd be like finally they're here well maybe i mean it depends i mean if i can like if i feel like i can kill them where they can't assault me that's fine but i mean if if they drop some overwhelming thing where i'm not going to be able to shoot it down although i that's fine i'll just redeploy i used to play eldar in uh 40k before they became the rape train with no breaks they currently are and (laughs) i played them when they weren't very good they were kind of subpar, I guess. Like, uh, I guess it was fifth edition, whatever. And you had to be clever with how you use them. And I, I learned a lot of those tactics using them. And I plan on doing, like, basically using the same way I used to play that army, but with my Blood Angels. So, like, so let's say we played against each other, right? I played my new Blood Angels Dreadnought army. Yep. I deep strike on you. You yep. say, get fucked. And you just, like, take off. And yep. then I'm just, like, stuck there, like, and watching. Think about it. Your Leviathan moves like six and then only shoots like 18 or something. I think this, maybe <laughs> yeah. the storm cannon shoots 24 or something like that. I don't know. But I mean, I can move 12 and then turbo boost or then move flat out another 12 because they're fast vehicles. That's so and then my, my bikes do the same thing. And all my bike, uh, my entire army is fast vehicles and bikes. So I don't have any- GTFO. And then I just sit there and watch your fucking dust cloud. And then, yeah. it's like, and then I can then I can kind of clump my guys up uh, in like a, a kind of a close clump if you don't have a lot of blasts or whatever. And then like just move six inches forward, then shoot the shit out of like whatever the closest thing in your army is to me and like peel that back where I bring like it's kind of hard to explain. So like say say we're 24 inches apart, um, but only like some of your like because you can't have all your army in one spot on the table. There's not room for it. Right. So you're going you're gonna to have like a leading edge of your army. So I'll just pull up where I'm only in range of that leading edge and just shoot that off the board so that your guys behind it then have to basically move up where those guys just died. But hopefully you're still out of range when you move up to take their place. And I'll just slowly inch forward towards you, peeling off layers of your army. While, and then if you advance really close, I'll just back up and try to do the same thing. Man, you're such a tactician, Ryan. There's just, there's like, in my mind, if I saw you run away, I'd feel like my Praetor would be like, ha ha, they're running. <laughs> and then you'd be like, sir, they're turning around. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's the other thing. I mean, it makes it unpredictable, too, because, I mean, you can drop in. I, like I said, I may bug out. I may shoot you. I may do a little of both. Um, just really depends. I mean, it's, there's just so many variables. I mean, you can't. You have to have different battle plans with your list. You can't just take a list and go, well, that's why I'm not big into gunline armies because 
there's really no like that's what you you set them up, set your army up, and then it Somebody just comes shoots to you. every turn. Yeah, yeah, it comes to you and you shoot. I mean, if something throws a wrench in that, there's really not a lot you can do. Like you're just kind of huh, this guy. I, I'm I'm rock and I'm used to smashing scissors, but this guy brought paper and now I'm in trouble. So <laughs> my list doesn't good. do that. Yeah. So <laughs> I tried to. Uh, you know, make a list that was both like, I don't know, rock and scissors. So I can switch between the two if I want. That's insane. That's a solid list. I thought, I thought my list was pretty competitive until you wrote down on a piece of paper, how you'd beat my list. And then (laughs) gave it to me before the game starts. This is what I'm going to do to you. Open it at the end of the game. (laughs) It's like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So, that's solid. It's a solid blood. Angel. I, you know, and what's crazy is, you know, you're working on your blood angels. I am also working on my blood angels, just a completely different list. Obviously, less competitive than your list, but you know, eh, I don't know. Maybe not. Who knows? I've not played my list yet. This is all in my head. It's just theory hammer at this point. <laughs> and then on top of that, I also got my blood angels paint scheme from you, so it's kind of like one giant army that we're painting right now together. Yeah, maybe we can team up one day and we can have uh, all the dreadnoughts running around with all the tanks and bikes. <laughs> I'll hold them for you. Just get here. <laughs> like I just some... can't wait for some specialty units. I'm hoping that, um, obviously when the specialty units come, this is just a list I'm running in the meantime, trying to take advantage of as many Blood Angel rules as I can. Right. Because we don't have a Primarch or um, specialty units. And the uh, current the one current right of war that piques my interest, I think it's called the, is it the day of revelation, the jump pack one? Yes. The day of sorrows is the non jump pack one. Yeah. The, the day of revelation, the one that's the one that piques my interest, but unfortunately nothing with the jump pack is like very good at all. Like it's not even like I'll play subpar units. I don't care, but I'm not going to play something that's so subpar that like, taking like two units of it is tantamount to just like giving up on life. (laughs) (laughs) It's the 40 K equivalent of wearing uh, sweatpants to Walmart. You've given up. You've just, you're done. You've given up on it. I I took Trump jump troops. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Your kids must hate you. I don't. Yeah. Don't don't let your wife see that. I know many of you have talked about it. Like how, it's just like they're inexplicably bad that there's like somebody behind the scenes, like actually has a vendetta against drunk jump troops. There's no other explanation. So anyway, so man, that's, (laughs) I don't even want to go in that conversation right now. (laughs) Basically for y'all that was out there, it involves rocket man and the the dude from the eighties who ran around with a jet pack and went to schools and, possibly the design studios like parents or mother yeah just imagine walking into a bedroom and that rocking on top of your mom and that would scar you for life and you would hate anything with the jump pack and then you would proceed to write crappy rules for them in a game yep 250 points minimum what i said 250 points put it down (laughs) fucking jump pack you think you're so badass with your jump packs you're not it's like in the movies every time he sees a jump marine it's like it cuts to like 
the mm-hmm. image of of that like quickly like jumping into his head and it, like it makes him squint and like like it's almost like lancing his brain the images like in the movies no no <laughs> starts sweating oh my god oh, salt i got a nerf i got a nerf salt marines <laughs> they're too powerful they think they can have whatever they want <laughs> my dad's a good man give your mom the hammer of wrath <laughs> So yeah, man. Uh, I guess back to some hobby, hobby progress. I'm working on my dreadnought list. Uh, I have one bike painted. I have had to look back at it. I got two Leviathans painted. I have a uh, Contemptor fully done, and I have another Contemptor that's on his like second coat of red. He's got that Mephiston red, so I just got to put the uh, bloody red on him. Uh, I have decided like i painted fully painted up a dreadnought furioso uh furioso dreadnought from games workshop uh the problem is it looks so like like it looks like a toy compared to the other like badass forge world models and so i really was trying to get him like dark and like make him look like one of the boys but he looks like the uh like leave it to beaver like style little brother with all of his like big brothers, like, can I come, guys? It's like, no, you stay home. Like, we're going to go do big kid stuff. And so, like, <laughs> you know, he just looks so shitty compared to them. So, you know, I bought four of those those Furioso Dreadnoughts, just, like, planning to just, like, plug them into my list just as Legion Dreadnoughts. But, unfortunately, I just can't use them. I can't look at them. They don't look right in my army. So, I actually o- ordered some... Uh, Mark four ironclads. So that's what I use in my salamander dreadnought list. Yeah. I'm going to use uh, some ironclads instead of those guys. So I'm going to make some ironclad furiosos. So I'm ready for those to be in. Cause I think those are going to look sweet painted up with my guys. And so, and then the next step after that is the ridiculous investment of some dreadnought drop pods. So <laughs> God, I'm, I'm like in the middle of like looking to see like how I can convert them. Cause it's so much money, but I'll have just... you built the, have you built one of the actual model yet? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've built two of them and both of them just like snap off at the hinge. Like every time. Yeah. Um, I got a couple things that might be able to help you on how to do that where they don't fall apart so much, some ideas. So oh, when absolutely. you get to the, when you get to that point, if you actually buy the models and you want some help, um, I'm not, I mean, there may even be a better method out, but I found a method where it works a lot better. I uh I put the model down one time and I was like okay left it on the table and the door fell open I was like N-, like I watched it like creeping open and, like ready yeah. to fall and I was like no and then it hit the ground and just like pop a little piece snapped I was like fuck dude like these are the well the worst. problem is they they overextend and it's almost like your elbow on your arm it gets to a point where it'll snap like so as long as it's usually usually if it's on a flat surface surface even if the door falls open depending on how it's assembled it won't pop out it's when you have a problem when you're holding it in your hand and they fall open and they go past the 90 degree you know parallel to or 90 degree in comparison to the rest of the drop pod and they go further than that then the the sides blow out of them and the door falls off so it's definitely a model that if you have one and you like i realize that that happens so i it's one of the few models i'm really weird about that i don't let anybody else um touch or if they go to reach for it i'm like i did it Hang on a minute. Let me show you how to. You can hold it, but <laughs> it's this like is a, how you have to hold it. It's like a baby. 
It's like a bit. Uh, it doesn't have. It doesn't have the right support. You gotta support right. its doors like a baby's head. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll just die if you don't hold it right. So most of my other models, I don't like. I don't. I'm not weird about people touching my models. I'm not one of those people that like only paint models to put them on a spinning mirror like a car show and go. Like I play with my models. So like when people always come up to an event, I mean obviously everybody's always polite and ask and stuff, which is good. And you should you know do that. But I never have told you know most people. I'm like you can pick that up if you want, and they look at me like. I don't want to touch it. It's pretty funny, but that those those particular models I'm weird about solely because of what Michael's talking about. That they just they're just the way they're designed is not good. Man, dude, what would you do if like you're like some dude was like, all right, I destroyed this drop pod and like picked it up and like one of the doors snapped off. Like, what would you do right there? Because he like picked it up and the doors like hanging just. Um, I probably nothing to be honest. Like, I just kind of give him the disappointed look and then. I, most people would apologize. And I mean, that's what accidents are. You know I mean? Like as long as somebody doesn't maliciously do something to you, I mean, you should, you know, probably forgive them. That's why they're called accidents. I mean, it, it, sometimes shit like that just happens. Like I've had my sister one time, I'll never forget before my basement was finished. My floor was concrete and I had these three, they were a mix of vultures, Valkyries and vendettas. I think it was two vendettas and a vulture. Uh, Imperial Guard gunships, and they were right on the edge of the table where the tail fins were sticking off. The base was fully on the table, but the tails were sticking off. They'd come in from reserve. And she come walking through the basement just saying hi to my friends, and her coat or shirt or purse or something literally caught <laughs> on the first fin and and flipped the thing off the table, and it hit the... It's on concrete, because I didn't have carpet down here at the time. So this whole flyer lands on concrete, just explodes. <laughs> so then obviously because it's falling, it spooks her. So she turns to like try to catch it or react. And then when, in, by doing that, she hits the other two <laughs> and they go off the other side. Not so the these, vulture, not the these, vulture. Oh yeah. So all three of them like hit the ground and broke. And she immediately just started crying, like went into tears. Like I was like, <laughs> cause she felt so bad. And I, like at first, I mean, obviously your immediate instinct is like anger, but it only lasted for like three seconds. And I mean, because it's one of those things, like it's not like she intentionally just walked by and like took her arm and knocked him off the table to be mean. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's nothing the little glue and paint won't fix most of the time. So it sucks, but it's something you have to live with when you hobby and you're actually like, you know, using your models to do stuff with. It's inevitable that sometimes some of them are going to get broken. I like the Forge World Back. ones because they just explode. Like when, when resin hits the ground, it's just poof, just like everything, like just gone. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow, that's what a Typhon looks like in that many pieces. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, we were playing Yahtzee one time, and I had a guy get so pissed off that he took the dice and threw them against the center block wall so hard, they literally exploded into like fragments of dust pretty funny so yeah it's something similar how hardcore like did y'all play for yahtzee for money or like are y'all like what no he just had a temper and it's one of those where like he had hit all the right things where he's like right at the end and all he needs is like one roll out of however many and everybody else is so far behind and every time he gets to his turn he's like all he needs this and he rolls it doesn't get it and somebody eventually caught up to him and when he got on the last number the other guy he rolled again and didn't get it. And then the other guy rolled and got it the first time and then started cheering. <laughs> and you could literally see like him, like slowly turn like four shades of red. 
and he grabbed the dice and threw them so hard against the wall they just like blew up into fragments. So Most, like hardcore Yahtzee game, like we play for keeps. Yeah, sometimes man, people just get upset. Yeah. So yeah, man, that's a uh, <laughs> that's what I'm working on. I like how we went that Yahtzee tangent, but yeah, now sorry. I know now how board games go down at the the Kimmel household. I wasn't here. I wasn't here. Was it worth oh. it? <laughs> on lunch break. <laughs> Y'all playing some some underground Yahtzee on lunch break. Underground Yahtzee. Some street Yahtzee, son. You got to be prepared for that. <laughs> uh, so, man, going into uh, so that's pretty much what I've been working on. Heard what you've been working on, dude. What? You, what? Uh, right, let's go into some events, dude. Like, I'm actually really interested to hear about this uh, mallets Malay that you had going down over at that was at your house, right? Speaking of your basement, like that was in your basement, like. Yes, I have. I have the, normally we have, we have four tables set up all the time. They don't ever come down. And then I have another room that I can sit, that is, it's usually just totally empty. So I can set another four tables up in there. Um, sometimes we take them down. Sometimes we leave them up, but I can essentially leave eight tables set up all the time. And it doesn't affect like, you know, anything else in the house. Like we, you know, we still have space for everything else. Um, and then, I can, I have the capabilities to set up four more, but it's one of the, like, it's something like it's, I have a second like living room, like a family room or whatever with the TV and stuff in my basement um, with a couch and stuff. We can kind of push that against the wall and set up another four tables, but it's not something we leave set up all the time. But I do have the capabilities to run an event that, you know, any event that I can run that's 12 tables or less, I can just host it here. That's freaking sweet. So y'all, I'm guessing you, you, how many tables did you run at Mallet's Malay? Well, we thought we had 24 guys coming. So we set up, uh, we set up the 12 tables, but within the last 36 hours before the event, um, like literally 12 people dropped, which was kind of a bummer. So we ended up, uh, we had just set up 10 tables and then what 12 people. So we only were using six of them at a time. So we had four extra tables, but the way the event worked, it actually was kind of neat to have extra tables, which we can talk about when we get to that point of what happened. No. Yeah. Let's talk about it. You were there. Like, okay. Were so, so the way, the way the event we did, it was just like in book four, the campaign where you, uh, you assign two generals and then you split into loyalists and traders, you know, trader general, loyalist general, and then they, obviously, you know, pick the matchup. So we did it just like out of the book where uh, whoever picks first picks a, a player and a table and they're the attacker. And then the other general picks a player to defend. And then the, the, the general who just picked the defender then picks the next attacker and table and so on and so forth till everybody's assigned to a game. And then you can only score uh, control points for being the attacker. So, basically you had, you know, each team had three attackers. So even if you won a game, if you won as a defender, it doesn't really do anything for you other than it prevents the other team from scoring a point. But what's cool when you have more tables than you actually have games that can happen, we played three rounds like this. So let's say in round one, uh, one team scores two points and the other team scores one point. So that means three tables have points on them and the other seven tables don't, you know, and that continues. Well, in round three, 
that means that there's always going to be tables open that probably don't have points on them or whatever. So you could basically, a table could not see any action all day long, and then in the last round, you could attack it, hoping to basically score a point on it in the last round so that your opponent can't, you know, do it. Like, if you actually score that point, they can't later on retake it. So it, it leads a little more strategy into what battlefields you pick, and it actually gives you more options to choose from because you're not having to fill every table every round, which was like... I would have rather had the people here. Don't get me wrong, but it was kind of a cool by, uh, byproduct of that to like see how that worked out. Yeah, for sure. Like that—that that sounds like well, like you not only have to worry about like tactics on the table, but you also have to worry about like tactics, like where you're deploying, which table you're picking. Like that's exactly. And then we had it where uh, each table, like if you control the table, if you had points on that table, then it gave like uh, a factional bonus um, to your side. So that was the other thing. Like you could, you could like in the first round, you know, pick a table and win it and have that bonus. And then in the next round, like maybe it was unfavorable for your opponent to like try to attack that one. So then in the next round you can try to, you know, ignore it because it has a point on it. And there's so many other tables to attack. Your opponent basically has to try to go out of the way to try to take that back or you're going to have that bonus you know, the remainder of the day, which also plays into there being more tables than, you know, players and all that. So there, like you said, there's like, at that point, there's like tactics within tactics, which was, you know, kind of neat, pretty cool. You have like tabletop tactics and then you have like warlord tactics. And then you exactly. Gotta, you got to like, I don't know, man, that's, that's, uh, that's super cool. Like trying to convince your warlord, like I need to be on this table. It's, this is the choice right. table. And, and I do want to say, uh, Basically, what happened was my my buddy Nick uh, Nick Meyer he uh, he helped me run the event. Like he actually wrote the missions and stuff for the event. I was just basically the host. Now I did I because I was he was I usually run all the events and then I don't get to play in them. So he was actually being nice and was like, "Well, let me you know we'll just use your place, but I'll run the event so that you you know actually get to play for once." And I was like, "Man, I really appreciate that." But I ended up not playing anyway. Uh. <laughs> So I ended up just hosting with him. Um, we had a guy that uh, wanted to play, but he knew he was going to have to leave in the middle of the day. So we let him uh, play. And then when he left, uh, we just, me and uh, I had just had Nick go ahead and jump in and be the ringer. So Nick played a, he played a couple games. I went and uh, picked up lunch for everybody. We had pizza and just kind of hung out and built some models and did some stuff while everybody else played. It wasn't bad. So I got to run around and take pictures and see what was going on and all that, which was pretty cool. That's the other big thing about running an event where you have generals that kind of do that sort of stuff. You can be a little more hands-off as an organizer. It's not as stressful. For real, man. That is a huge deal, especially with the like generals where they're putting people on tables, they're getting everybody set up. Uh, you're only there for the rules. Like That's pretty much it. Like it uh, yep makes life yep. so easy with those jobs. and then what i what i like doing like in that type of event what i did i just took i just made mine kind of cheesy you could make them really nice i took a uh, a two by four and cut it like imagine a two by four and you cut it where it's just a six inch section a two by four yeah and then i take clothes pins and glue them uh vertically on the back of it one on each corner and then on the on the flat part out in front of that i drilled three holes and then i bought these little like cocktail like toothpick flags 
Um, some were just pure red and some of them were pure blue. So like when you would score a point on the table, if you were traders, they were red team. I'd, they'd just come up to the table, like the host where I was like, had all the like sign in paperwork and all that, like the registration table, I guess. And you could just grab a flag of whatever color and you literally went and just planted it on the table. So you could physically see which tables had points on them. And then the little clothespins on the back for like the planetary bonuses and stuff, we just wrote them down on a note card. And then when somebody scored them or somebody had some whatever, you could literally just go to your table and clip it on that clothespin so it was there for everybody to see and you could quick reference it or whatever. Um, so it made it pretty nice. So that was like something else I didn't even have to like write down like so-and-so owns this table, so-and-so whatever. I just literally, they just came and got their little cocktail flag and stuck it in the you know, in the block that was like, oh, red team has two points, blue team has this, and it made it easy to calculate all that stuff at the end. That's so cool. That's such a good idea, especially like just marking the table. It's like, oh, the traitors have taken the battlefield. Yeah, plus it, it's kind of fun. Like, there's a little bit of gratification, I'm sure, like actually getting to take a flag and plant it. Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> no, 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 no. I get to put my flag here. <laughs> you, there will be no blue flags on this table. So I'm sure you could make it nicer. Like I said, mine is literally just cut up pieces of two by four with clothespins wood glued to it. But I mean, it does its job. Works pretty well. Sounds awesome. That sounds like something everybody should incorporate in their event. Yeah. And then like on the block of wood, I wrote like the number, like, a, like so you could say table one. So it, it's not, it marks what table number it is. So for matchups, you could say, hey, you're going to play on table one. And then... The clothespins are, like I said, to clip like whatever special rules that table has so you can quick reference it. And then there's just three holes drilled in it to plant the little flags. So it served like three purposes. It worked pretty well for a fairly minimal amount of work. Hell yeah, dude. How many points was y'all's event? It was 2,500 points. And I think we allowed everything. I think we even, like we said, you could take Leviathan, whatever. Um we did it just like normal, like a lot of events that allow a Leviathan, they make it like opponent's discretion. So like if you wanted to bring a Leviathan list, you had to bring something else as well. Just um, in case. Just in case, which actually I, did, I thought that was just something that somebody invented. But if you actually read the Leviathan detachment, it actually says somewhere in there opponent's discretion in the actual detachment rules. So it's such a weird, such a weird rule. It's like if you want to yeah. have fun... You, you get to, but only if your opponent gets to have fun with yeah. you playing against them. So, I mean, I there's obviously it's abusive. Most of the other detachments, I don't have a problem with. Like we were kind of talking about knights. Like I don't, I don't, I think competitively knights are fine. My only slight problem with them is that they're a very like paper rock scissors style army where, you know, it, it sometimes it, it sometimes it can lead to games that aren't fun because it's a pre pretty much a predetermined conclusion before dice are even rolled just based on list, list matchups, just because it's, it's so one way, you know what I mean? And how the list works. Um, but I don't think that's a reason to disallow from an event, especially one where you have generals that pick the matchups. Cause it, yeah. you know, it's your general's job to not, you know, go, Oh, well here's a, you know, a militia, militia. army that's like, all like foot slugging guys with like one melt a bomb per unit. Let's have them fight, you know, knights or whatever. Like that's not, you know what I mean? The general should be smarter than that. That'd be hilarious though, but shitty for the militia guy. Just... Yeah. It's just, it's just going to make for not a very fun game. And honestly, it's probably, even though the knight guy's likely going to win, 
that's still not a fun game. I mean, when you're just like marching around, like smashing everything, that's not, it's like playing God mode in a video game. It's not a lot of fun. <laughs> that's the perfect example of what it is. I can just imagine an Asheron just <laughs> unloading. I got clipping and God mode turned on, bro. I'm just going to run around and smash everything. Smash everything. The poor, poor militia guy who actually like is taking that 250 model strong militia army, just getting getting his ass handed to him by some customers. I can't wait because I'm painting militia currently. And it's like you get, you know, you paint 50 guys and they're two points a model. So you paint a whole unit of 50 guys and it's a hundred points. Uh-huh. And then I know what's going to happen. I'm going to like, like you said, somebody will take an Asheron or something or quad mortar battery and like shoot it. And I'll literally have to like pick up like every model is like four hours of my time. So you think about that 50 guys, you're like, that's four hours. That's four hours. That's four hours as, as they die. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why did fun. you even bother painting them? So do y'all have Zomortalis on there or anything like that, or it's just all? It was all normal tables. We did have a table that we placed a Zone Mortalis section on, so it was like a normal battlefield. But the center part of the board uh, was a two by two Zone Mortalis, and we actually played the Relic mission from Normal 40k, which we've had luck with in the past with this type of thing. So imagine you got this two by two Zone Mortalis section in the middle of the board, and then you put the Relic in the middle of that. So the way the relic works for those who only play 30K, it's essentially a single objective, but you can pick it up and carry it with you. Um, But only scoring units can pick it up. And once you pick it up, it's supposed to be like some type of delicate device. So you can't like run with it or whatever. So what's cool about this mission is it makes like everybody, we, you know, the, the zone mortalis section is supposed to be like a bunker or a building or whatever. So you have to like drive up to it, your tanks or whatever, and then like deploy out and send troops in, to grab this thing and then try to get it out or hold onto it or whatever. And the way we played it is that it was a clear definition between the zone mortalis board and the normal table and models that aren't in the zone mortalis section can't affect models outside and vice versa. So it was almost like I'm on base. You can't touch me, but it made sense. It was supposed to be like, you know, a bunker thing that neither side wanted to shoot into to destroy because they're both after this. Did you, you know, did you have anybody that like parked like a land raider outside the door like directly against it so you couldn't get out and like um there was a couple different entrances we did have people literally it was pretty funny like back rhinos right up to the door and yeah. then drop the door on the rhino and then like run out there was a guy playing uh, raven guard and he infiltrated his rhinos right against the doors and then turn one jumped a bunch of more dathan out that's exactly what i would have done that yeah. is the exact way i would have ran that the first time the first game that that mission was played in it was alpha legion versus uh raven guard mm-hmm. and they were all like all trying to infiltrate all up in that into that uh zone mortalis but it actually the alpha legion won the roll off to start placing first so he literally was able to essentially place guys right on the relic which you know you can't deploy uh within 12 what, inches or 18 18 or something like that so I, the the guy playing raven guard or maybe it was the other, yeah, the Raven Guard deployed on the Relic and the Alpha, it was the other way around. So what happened, though, was the Alpha Legion guy had a Spartan that had a full um, destroyer squad in it with no jump packs, just on foot. 
and they had he had like Dynat with it and something else. And he put like Phosphex on the sergeant and they had the two rad missile launchers and all that stuff. So what ended up happening, I think he seized or something like that. He drove the Spartan up right to the door, dropped the hatch on the Spartan, deployed into the zone Mortalis and shot like two rad missiles through Phosphex and all this stuff, which is really brutal in zone Mortalis right on top of the big Raven guard unit that had started on the relic and like blew him off of it. So it actually didn't benefit the guy because he got seized on <laughs> to infiltrate on top of it. Dest- so it was a pretty cool, pretty cool matchup. Destroyers blowing off Raven guard. That's, yep. that's where the party's at. <laughs> so we made the two warlords for the event, by the way. Uh, one was Duncan Kendall. Uh, he actually drove up from Kentucky. Uh, we met, he was my final opponent for the competitive event at Adepticon. And um, we became buddies just playing that game. And I found out he lived in Kentucky, which is only like, it's like a little over three hours from here for where he lives. And so I invited him up to this event. So he brought uh, his best friend, Charles, who I hadn't met, um, up. And then another guy named Scott Switzer that lives in another part of Kentucky heard about us on Eye of Horus. And so he came up. So we had three Kentucky guys and a guy from Detroit, um, my buddy Dave, the guy who was playing the Alpha Legion Army with the destroyers, uh, he came down from Detroit. But anyway, so Duncan, he was uh, playing Kirvalen, and then a local guy named Chris, he was playing uh, Petarabo. So we made the two warlords, like overall warlords, Duncan and Mosier. So it was kind of like Petarabo versus Kirvalen, which That's is kind of like freaking cool. The overall theme of the event, which I thought was pretty rad. That is rad, dude. That's really cool. That's that's the we had people vote in our event, so like he, yeah. the fact y'all put some narrative into it. Well, tough. we just like it was on the fly. Like people just showed up. We saw what people were running, and uh, I'd played Duncan, so I knew he knew what he was doing. And then Mosier, you know, he plays here on the regular, so I knew he knew the rules. I wanted to make sure that the guys who I uh, that were generals, like, cause some, the problem, like, if you know your crowd like really well and everybody knows each other it's not a big deal. Like you said, just to vote. But if like you have a lot of people that don't really know each other, you know, it's kind of hard to vote. And then also somebody may get voted in that either doesn't want to do it or doesn't, you know, doesn't have the best grasp of the rules or hasn't played that way before. So I just kind of, I knew that both of those guys were, you know, wouldn't mind the responsibility and would have fun with it and make sure that they're, you know, put their teammates first and matchups and weren't going to try to like, well, like we we talked about the militia and the knight list before. That I knew they weren't going to be like, well, we could win the game if we make this militia guy play this knight guy because we can just sacrifice it over here. And then have, <laughs> they weren't going to worry about that. They were just going to go, well, it's not going to be fun for this guy to do it. So, you know, we'll just do this even though it's, you know, whatever. So it's always good to have people that are going to be general to look at it that way so that cause the most important thing is for everybody to have, you know, fun. Have a good time. Oh, yeah. Agree, dude. Agree. I'm glad that that worked out for y'all pretty well. So, we, yeah, we played three rounds. Uh, the traders ended up uh, winning the uh, event overall. I think it was by a fairly wide margin. Um, there was some cool matchups. There was a guy playing Alpha Legion versus a guy playing Ultramarines, and both of them had like 18 jet bikes. So, it was a whole bunch of jet bikes. Uh, that was pretty cool. The Raven Guard versus Alpha Legion was cool. Um, Iron Warrior, like the Iron Warrior players ended up playing each other. So uh, Petarabo got a fight 
Kirvalen, that was pretty cool. Um, trying to think of some other. Uh, there was a whole bunch. Oh, uh, we there was a a ruined city fight, and it was uh, it was the battle. It was uh, Imperial Fist versus um, Alpha Legion. So it was like the battle. No, it was uh, Iron Warriors versus Alpha Legion. So it was like uh, Paramar. It was pretty cool because it was even Dynat. So it was Dynat versus uh, Kier Valen, which was just like the battle for Paramar, which was pretty rad. That ended up happening. That wasn't even something we planned out. That, like This was all just stuff that happened. So it made the event really cool. There was a lot of neat moments. Um, but yeah, traders ended up winning. Um, everybody that came, like I said, had a really good time. Uh, gave away one of Josh's, or gave away two of Josh's Yeti Cups. So I got those ordered. They haven't got here yet, but uh, I'm sure the guys will be super excited when they get them. Oh, I had mine, awesome. I had mine mine here for display, so people were like, "That looks awesome." So we had a guy plays Ultramarines one one, and a guy plays Iron Hands one one. So I ordered an Ultramarine and Iron Hand cup through Josh. So oh should... okay okay so that dude that's sweet that you actually like picked your Legion that one. Yeah, that's what, because basically I just had my cup for display. It was like, this is what it can look like, you know, so uh, whoever wins, you you can tell me what you want on it, and then I'll just order it, and then mail it to you. So that's what ended up happening. That's funny, dude. My uh, my roommate is actually the one who cuts those cups. Like, he, okay. he runs the laser, and he was telling me he was cutting a couple cuts cups for you, and I yep. was like, what is that? That's for, for the event. Yep, it's for uh, the, basically we had, we gave those away for like best sportsman. Um, so we had, basically it was best sportsman and the like best runner up, like for sportsman. So the, the guy who's played one, like I said, one of the guys, uh, Jack, uh, the Duncan's best friend that he brought up that I hadn't met, he was playing Ultramarines and he won best sportsman. And then Scott Switzer, he's also from Kentucky, he's from Lexington. Uh, he, uh, did, uh, iron hands. So that'll be pretty cool when they show up. That's tight. That's exciting. That's such a cool prize too. Yeah. The other cool thing about the event was Scott Switzer. Um, he lives in which is literally, it's, it's a lot closer. It's only about two hours away from here. And since the event, he's came up to every one of our club nights. So he, even though he's two hours away, he's become a like straight up regular member of our little battle mallet game club. So he's like totally pumped to come up here uh, every other weekend, which is pretty rad. Dude, so. I could I couldn't imagine like like okay so like right now, I think just by like you know the Facebook chat and like everything like you know Facebook and all that like I couldn't imagine being a thirty k player and like just being by myself like not having anybody to go play like I, I feel I, it would just drive me crazy to like not like to be like as passionate as some of these people are about thirty k and you know as passionate as we are and like it would drive me crazy not to know that there's like not somebody I could talk to about it and all that. So like probably finding you guys, like probably like the best thing that happened to him. Well, I guess he just got out of the army. He was in the army. And when he got out, they just happened to move. I don't know if he's originally from there or whatever. I didn't ask him, but you know, he was obviously in the army. So he had to live wherever they told him to live. When he got out, they just ended up moving to Lexington. So I guess he was listening to eye of Horus and he'd only been there. I think he said like six months. So we found a couple local guys and stuff to play with. So I think there, there's quite a few guys in Kentucky for him to play with. But he just came up and he really liked my tables and really liked all of our guys and stuff like that. And it's not that far for him. So 
uh, he comes up and plays with us. So it's pretty cool. He's a really, really super nice guy. And his his armies are beautifully painted. He's working on Iron Warriors uh, right now. I think you've seen his army. I posted a link for for you in a, like some chat messages we had. I was like, hey, go check this out. Uh, it's on um, Indie, Indie 30K on Facebook if you go there. Um, I'm on there a lot, and you can see Scott's um, Iron Warrior Army. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I remember that, that Iron Warrior Army you posted up. It's super nice. Yeah, it's Actually, the one you were talking about. He used the vehicle bits for, like, the Devastator guys or, or uh, heavy support squads, the little targeters for the backpacks for the uh, – I think they're supposed to be, like, the Augury scanner maybe. Yeah, he used the uh, the targeting devices for vehicles like Land Raiders and stuff like that. He used like the the like lenses and stuff. He put them on the backpacks. It was like such a cool use of that piece, man. So sweet. Yep, yep. Definitely a very good painter. He uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. We didn't have a best painted award. But I, if it, because it's funny you mentioned, well, just real quick, a little aside, you said not imagining like having anybody play 30K with. My club was a 40K club, and I was the first one to switch over to 30K. And I I had models for an entire year before anybody played 30K with me. (laughs) So every other weekend, I had to host a 40K club and watched hundreds of games of 40K. Why set like set in the corner and stared at my 30k army with nobody to play with till I eventually convinced some guys to buy some armies. So, so you, you were just like the weird kid. The weird kid. Yeah. I mean, I still play. What what would happen? Like I sold off pretty much all my other crap and I sold uh, all my plastic marines off, and I basically just built 40k armies using only 30k models because I and that way I could still play games and whatever. But I was building basically I was just like a way to still play games, but I knew I, my primary goal was still to build 30 K army, but I just, you know, like I said, I built and painted units that would cross over so I could dual purpose it. But now enough of my clubs come around where I basically only play 30 K. But what has happened, it just, since betrayal at Calf is when it really started taking off. Cause it was really a money barrier more than anything for my club to switch over. But now that Calf is out, um, everybody was able to get Marines and stuff for cheap. So everybody has started armies. So we didn't really have a painting. This was like the first 30 K event we'd hosted here. And we, we didn't have a painting requirement just because the, the, like everybody that plays 30 K here, there's only like two guys like me and like two other guys actually have, you know, painted armies. Everybody else is like just bought their models, you know, since the beginning of the year. So we didn't want to like have a painting contest or whatever, just because we knew that nobody would, you know, have their stuff done just by virtue of them just getting into the game. So it's kind of like a beginner style event. But if we were to have a best painted, um, I'd say Scott probably would have won with his uh, Iron Hands. He's got Iron Hands and Iron Warriors. I think only pictures uh, are posted of his Iron Warriors, but you can get an idea of his skill level by looking at those. Sweet. That's awesome. I'm gonna have to go check, recheck out those pictures now. Yep. Just go. Like I said, it's in. It's the Indie 30K Facebook page. So that's what's up, dude. Do you have any other moments that are worth mentioning? Um, 
Kier, well, he didn't personally do it, but the Iron Warrior player killing or playing Kier Valen um, fought against Petarabo, and they uh, Kier Valen won. He he killed Petarabo. That is such an odd story. Like, was it by himself <laughs> or was like? No, 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 not like he didn't like personally like go. Aha! I'm killing you. Like the Iron Warrior army just like shot him to death. But uh, he's still like you know still kind of funny that Kier Valen got the better of him. <laughs> this is not historically accurate at all. Nope. <laughs> so. Nope, not at all. But that was like a weird thing that happened. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I kind of touched on like the battle for Paramar thing was pretty cool. Like the the Alpha Legion versus Raven Guard was definitely pretty cool. Um, Iron Warriors seem to do really good um, in the event, so they're definitely a strong legion. Yeah, they're very top tier legion. They they are up there, especially man. I I don't see enough people taking advantage of that uh, first turn deep strike though. That is not something I see a lot. Um, actually, I, I helped the guy that was playing Petarabo. I helped build his list. We combined that with the new Iron Fire Right of War. Oh, uh, that's solid. So the idea behind the list is you got uh, Petarabo, and then like I think three like medium sized generic Terminator units. Yeah, and then he takes like a bunch of Medusas and quad mortars and artillery, stuff like that. Scorpus whirlwinds. So turn one, Petarabo. Oh, he's got a Damocles Rhino too. I think it's, it's two Scorpus whirlwinds, Damocles, a set of Medusas and a bunch of quad mortars. And then like the, the three medium sized Terminator squads and, um, Petarabo. And then he's got like two, like just basic, you know, ten man tactical squads as his troops, and then I think he puts havoc launchers on the rhinos because they're also barrage. Good lord! So, turn one because of the Damocles, you know, I think you, what is it plus one? So you come in on a two up, right? So, so Petarabo and the the Terminators all drop in really close to your line. Well, Petarabo's bombardment is like Ordnance D three twin linked, so yeah. he'll usually drop it first and hit something which puts counters out there. So now if you have infantry within like 12 inches of those counters, then it, then it goes down to only a D six scatter when you shoot at that counter. Well, you're obviously within 12 cause you've just deep struck or whatever. And then because Petarabo has a cognosignum, it also counts as an unseal Vox. So he, gets to draw line of sight, which he obviously has because he's standing right next to the counter. So you get to so, subtract your ballistic skill? Yes. Oh, my so God. So you're, you're... And then what's really funny is you put Phosphex on the... So your ballistic skill four is four on a quad mortar. So the most you can scatter is two inches if you're scattering, you know, on a D6 because you're subtracting four. Right. So... If you put Phosphex shells on them, Phosphex has Crawling Death, where you can move the marker up to two inches. Yeah. As long as it covers it, more models. Put it so right you, back. Put it right back. So, and then for every little marker you put down, you get to put more of these counters out. So every time one of those markers hits, you put another counter out, the, these Iron Fire counters. So you can literally just like load their deployment zone up with counters on turn one. And then all those Terminators, because they're close to the counters, are fearless. And then also because because they're close to the counters, the the more barrage you shoot isn't scattering. And then also 
because it's not scattering, you get a place it where you want, and then you're just putting more counters where you want the counters. That's silly. Like, but that is exactly what I imagine when I think of an Iron Warriors army. Just like you've always like been like, oh yeah, dude, I'm gonna take Iron Warriors. I'm gonna take like a whole bunch of barrage. But and, they've never like had a way to like show how good they are at barrage till now. And like right. that is like the exact like it's super fluffy, but also like super competitive. Because I can brutal. Yeah. And then the Fospex, what's really crazy is because it, it stays in play the entire game is dangerous terrain. Yeah. You can drop this line of Fospex across their battle line and then you got the Terminator standing right on the other side of it. So if they try to like move away from the Terminators with their vehicles or whatever, they can get immobilized. If they try to move their infantry forward to engage your Terminators or get away from them, they have to take difficult terrain tests. So that kind of like pins them in the deployment zone. And then what do you do? Are you going to ignore like 15 Terminators or however many, like 20 or how many he's got and Pedarabo to try to shoot all that artillery so you don't get hammered again? Or do you try to take the time to, kill those guys that are right in front of you and then take another several turns of having all this bombardment dumped on you. It just leaves you with really crappy choices. It's like, Oh man, do I want to get my ass beat by power fist or by another fucking shelling some like world war one style barrage? It's like, no, right. No, I'm definitely going to go jump in that power fist action. So it's a pretty rotten list. It's a cool list. Yeah. So, like, uh, for Mallets Malay, man, as a events organizer, like, are there things that you took that you learned from the event, like, from hosting the event? Like, something that you would do different or, like, for people out there who want to host their own event that you think that they would work out for them, some, some like, well, insider knowledge? The biggest problem we had with this event was people dropping. So, I would just say the best – make people prepay. Like we had a small, I mean, ours was like a local event. I think our entry fee was only like 20 bucks and we put it all back into prizes. Sweet. Um, so, I mean, we did, like I said, we ran it essentially like a not for profit. Uh, so a hundred percent of the money we took in just went for prizes for the event. But I feel like if people would have had to pay that money beforehand, you know, even though it's only $20, it would have encouraged them, you know, more to get here. It puts something, cause we had guys that were like, oh, well, I just forgot about it and I made other plans or, you know, because we put it out that like we, we'd had this event planned for like five months and like we had some people that just didn't come because they were, you know, just forgot to take off work and then put it in too late and couldn't get the day off. Whereas if you collect money from them, it's incentive for them to, you know, make sure they get that day off. Yeah, you, you tell your like significant other, it's like, no, I have to go, I already paid, you know, I can't, exactly. Sorry. So even if, it, I mean, I just feel like that's important. And then if somebody doesn't show up, at least you still have their money. Because that was the other problem um, was I went ahead and because I wanted all the price support ready. So I thought we'd sold out. So 20, you know, $20 a person, we had 20 people. I went and got, went and bought $400 in product support. Well, then only 12 people show up. So I didn't want to just like, you know, because I'd already fronted the cash. I didn't want to lose my ass on it. So what we ended up doing was just only giving away, you know, a, the exact dollar value and product support that people showed up and actually paid for. And then I just took the other stuff that I'd already bought and would, I just put it back for when we have an event in the future, you know, it'll just go to that. So it's still going to go to prizes or whatever, but you know, if that was a much larger event, 
and you know the entry fee was more and I'd already bought all that product support and stuff ahead of time you know that could have been a major problem if not everybody shows up and you know you're just out that money so definitely try to get prepayment out of people um, it's going to help with attendance and it also helps you financially where you're not going to take a bath if people don't show up and you've got a bunch of money out there solid advice that is solid advice right there that's but other other than that i mean we'd run um like i said i was so, so pumped about 30k and not having anybody play 30k with for over a year that we'd run two 40k events previously and we i'd run the 40k events exactly like a 30k event with generals and using the book four campaign system only with 40k armies <laughs> just slowly like prepping them for what to expect like you know what to expect but i mean it works that's another thing if you're out there and you ever want to host a, a 40k event and show some 40k guys something different i mean even like not even trying to convince them to play 30k just a totally different style event i mean that book four campaign system it'll work for 40k just like it will for 30k so it's it's pretty cool heck yeah dude I'm glad you had a good event. I'm glad it worked out for you. I'm glad you got some sweet memories out of it. It sounds like everybody had a good time. Yeah. And like I said, I want to thank Nick for, uh, you know, helping me. Like, I mean, he was really the primary, you know, guy. Like I said, he wrote all the missions and all that stuff. Oh, real quick, I did want to touch on, he wrote a mission that was so awesome. We're going to have it at our next event, and I highly encourage, um, I can maybe get it to you, Michael, and you can get it dispersed out there if other people want to try it. Oh, absolutely. He did, okay. So it was you're gonna you're gonna roll your eyes when I say the word, but it's it's not what you think. So he did a maelstrom style mission. Okay. He set up the objectives and all that, but the way he did it was he went through the deck and found like I think it was like twelve cards maybe that he really liked. So um, there was twelve cards. It may have been more, but I think it was roughly twelve, and you rolled off and say, I won the roll off before the game began. I picked one of those cards and then you picked one of those cards and we'd go back and forth. So you literally got to pick the cards. Like this is the objective I want to achieve. Does that make sense? Did you, did your opponent know about like what cards you picked or? Um, I can't remember. I'm not sure you could do it either way. Cause you could do it where you like each, like I had a pool of 12 cards and you had a pool of 12 cards, but they were the same cards, but we each picked six. I think that's maybe how he did it, actually. Did y'all so, use the uh, actual Maelstrom deck, or did y'all use the Adepticon, like, Horus Heresy set? We we used the Maelstrom deck because we designed the mission before I went to Adepticon, but uh, we talked about it. We would definitely use the Heresy-themed one in the future. Heck yeah. But we, we, we want to do an event, like, we, wanna, we really like that mission, and everybody that played that mission really liked it because it made it to where your goals may not have been the same goals as your opponent. Right. And then it makes your opponent guess, like, oh, my God, like, is he trying to, like, he's had this unit sitting on the subjective whole game. Is that one of his cards? Yeah, dude, that's or, what I'm talking about. Like, or I, he's, or he's like, he's really trying to kill my flyer. Like, did he pick the card that's, like, kill a flyer? Like, I don't know. Like, it's really cool. Dude, that, the, like, okay, whenever we talk about Alamo GT, I got something to tell you. Because, like, we basically have, like, the same experience with, like, your opponent not knowing what you're trying to do. Like, yeah, I fucking like I, I've I've heard this story already. I mean, definitely go over it again for other listeners. But I listened to your guys's uh, webcast uh, Wednesday, and you guys talked about it on there. Dude, it's like it's there's so much like misdirection when you don't know what your opponent's going for, which is like 
what you would expect to see, like if you were playing like in a war zone, you have no idea what the enemy's trying to do. Like, yeah, they could be trying to kill you, but that's not really what, you know, space Marines are about. Like space Marines, they have like objectives that you don't know about. So. Right. And plus doing a maelstrom that way, it makes more sense where like, instead of like, Oh, I randomly need objective three for this one turn. And then once I get it, I don't need it. Like, you know what I mean? Like getting to pick your cards, it allows you to put a little bit more of a story narrative to it yeah i think tim put it the best way whenever he said like the way he sees it is like there's computers everywhere <laughs> i'm trying to like, download files i'm trying to you're trying to download the files <laughs> so that's how yeah. you get the victory points Just yeah giant space marine fingers trying to push push the keyboard Right. But anyway, I was just throwing that out there because Nick did a really good job designing the missions. Um, everybody liked them. They actually like went out of their way to tell him after the event how cool the missions were. So our the event that we're working on for next year, I'm definitely having him help me uh, design the missions for. And we're going to definitely include that particular mission. That one really stood out as being really cool. A lot of neat stuff happened with it, and everybody that played it really got a kick out of it. That's badass, dude. I'm happy for you. I'm super happy for the guys that, that get to know you and <laughs> your sweet, sweet mission planning and your event planning and help. I, I can't wait to go up to Indianapolis or you know, and go to your little shop, dude, because it looks so sweet. Your your carpet looks so soft in all the pictures. It is. It is. You can just like uh, lay in it, fall into it. <laughs> and now if your Valkyrie gets knocked off the table, maybe it won't break into as many pieces. It won't explode. <laughs> so how'd your event go man dude so our event was a little bit different uh we had it was all uh part of alamo gt and the whole reason our event even existed was because uh there was a it, it, it originally originally the alamo gt is a 40k tournament it's a it's just a huge 40k tournament it's fantastically run uh, they've been doing it for years. I mean, they've got it down. Price support's great. Uh, however, there's a lot of uh, 30K player. Or there's a big 30K presence in Texas now. Uh, so the, the 30K scene's picking up. Uh, so uh, Pete and all of them, they decided that, you know, hey, we want to include these 30K guys in here. So he allowed and he posted that it's like, hey, you know, 30K players, y'all can play in the Alamo GT with your 30k army and when will allow it and they they, they barred some uh they, they barred some things like you couldn't play leviathan you couldn't play uh primarchs there were some things that they didn't allow uh but you know if if any of you guys know out there if any of you guys have tried to play your 30k army against a 40k army the balance just isn't there no you'll get smashed you'll get your ass handed to you which which the people that did play in the 30k the, did play the 30k army in the 40k track uh, from kind of just overall, it looks like there was some ass smashing. Uh, but so, uh, there was enough, uh, feedback on that. Like people saying, well, I'm going to get my ass handed to me and all that, that, uh, Pete approached us and asked if we could run a separate 30 K track in, in the Alamo GT. And so we, we accepted that. We said, yeah, we'll go ahead and do that. So they put six tables aside for us and, uh, they said, you know, you can play on these tables, go from here. So we decided we're going to do a full narrative campaign for the track. And we actually got 22 participants that signed up for it just off the bat. 
And so it's kind of like one of those things like, man, how are we going to get six tables? How are we going to have 22 people on six tables? You know, we didn't have room to expand to more tables, but, you know, we didn't want to get people on. So we did uh, pairings. We did 2v2 at 2,500 points, which is, you know, 5,000 a side, which is just ridiculous for the amount of time that we were giving them. (laughs) Uh, so in the future, guys, if you're running a event or a tournament, just keep in mind that 5,000 points aside, you're going to need a lot of time to get that to play through. Uh, so we did do two V twos. We had five tables that were two V two. We actually, uh, each individually wrote the missions for each table. Uh, we did have a zone mortalis table that was a, uh, that was a six table. And every time that anybody went and ran that table, we ran at one V one. Uh, so it was a 2,500 points for the for your points cost and then you had a 750 that you'd run on the zone mortalis um the event as far as the way it went uh first turn was just real rough all around (laughs) as far as the event goes uh you kind of started realizing you know we, we gave everybody three hours to play but it was kind of nut to butt the way everything was kind of the way everything was set up so you had like a lot of players that didn't realize how many points were on the table and that they weren't really sh- like aware of how short three hours of time frame is. So there was a lot of like round bottom of two, like they made it only around two or, you know, turn two, I'm sorry. And so, uh, so there's like a lot of, you know, people weren't too happy about only making it to turn two. Uh, and then, but you know, second and third round people realize like you just got to get your shit together. Like you just got to fucking play. And so round two and three really picked up the gameplays. Like just people hit the table hard. They hit the table going. Uh, it was such a cool event, man. There were so many just like, you know, we, we all wrote the missions. So there was a bunch of different effects that happened. And we took a lot of experience that we learned from Stiff 2. And we realized that, you know, Zool Mortalis should have somehow affect uh, other tables or you know, other tables should affect the way, you know, you, you just want to run it as like a global campaign. So what we ended up doing is just like you guys, we use the the book for uh, warlords where you got to pick the generals at the beginning of the game. And so we had the loyalists and the traders separated. Uh, so the, the generals were picking where everybody was going. And then we had different tables would affect other tables. Like there was one effect from the Zomortalis that would, uh, it would haywire the entire table of your choice. And so everything that was on that table would have to take like a haywire hit. And I mean, that was one of like the coolest things I saw happen at the event was this, this one table with like nine tanks on it. Cause you know, you're playing 5,000 points aside, two players. So one haywire against the whole table, you're getting like nine tanks or something like that. And it doesn't matter. It's like allies and enemies. Everybody's taking this haywire hit. It was like, <laughs> it was nuts to see something like that big, just like go off on a table. But, uh, so the the event itself, man, it was, it was really, it was really cool. Uh, one of the big things that we had that, uh, that I really liked the idea of was your sportsmanship score affected your main score. So like if you went to the event and like you were just not fun to play with, then it could affect your score. So like if you're playing just solely to like just beat face and you had no, like no, I I don't know how to put it. Like machismo. Like I don't, I don't, like I don't, you just like weren't nice to your opponent. It's like, 
okay, well, you're not going to have a good time at the event because uh, they're going to grade you on that score, and you, you're probably not going to come out with like a overall best uh, uh, best uh, opponent or anything like that. So Right. The way we do our scoring here in the last three events I've ran, I do my scoring. It's a third, a third, a third. It's a third hobbying and painting. It's a third battle points, and it's a third sportsmanship slash army comp, which is kind of the same thing when you think about it. We, we haven't included the painting – like, we, we do have a separate painting prize that we do. So, that that's completely separate from the actual event itself. But I could see where we'd work that in. Because we did require a three-color minimum. and right. But you could tell that there were some people who, like, just barely made that minimum. Like, there were still, like, you know, unpainted, like, faces or, like, you know – just like undone bases. Like they just met that minimum to get them on the table. And, you know, they were playing against people who had like full snow effects and like just this beautiful painted army. But, uh, I don't think our scene is big enough to require that just yet. I think it's kind of like, you know, just, uh, like I, I think like a lot of people are still new into the game. You know, I saw a lot of Kalth Marines in, in the, uh, in the mix there. So I think here in a year or two, we can start applying that third, third, or third, because because uh, sportsmanship that's easy enough to take care of you know and then right. uh, you have the tactical side of it which is actually your points and then uh, well I think we'll stop separating the uh, the actual painting rubric I think we'll include it in the overall score as well but right uh, uh, we're, we're we're looking at doing like for best overall it's going to be a third a third a third but then we're also going to give out you know sportsmanship on its own painting on its own and then general slash biggest dick hole, whatever you want to call it. Biggest dick hole. Oh yeah. So we're actually for our next event, we're buying um, bags of gummy dicks. So if you win best general, you literally get to eat a bag of dicks. (laughs) You fucking won, you jerk. (laughs) So anyway, sorry, Michael, go ahead. No, man, that's, that's, that's a, a good, like good idea there. Like maybe we'll have to buy a bag of dicks. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, yeah, man, everybody had a good time, dude. It was like uh, you – there was like a really a narrative played. Like uh, by the second game, the, we had the general's pick, and then the third the third game came around, and we pretty much like the generals were like, look, what tables do you all want to play on? And then you had like people's like uh, – we had a Rogel Dorn player, and he's like, I want to play against Pertrabo. And then so like they went against each other. Then you had Fulgrim versus Vulcan, and then it's just like all these people wanted to play each other, and they were like – picking their mission so it was just like solid like they get it like boom like narratives happening right here people are setting up their games for narrative and it was it was a blast uh the end of the day man we had uh we you know we gave out our prizes we had the um best trader best loyalist we had best opponent which is basically you know the guy who everybody enjoyed playing against and so best opponent you know got top scores and sportsmanship uh we had best painted uh, which was, you know, obviously best painted. And that actually went to Scott Unger with his iron hands. And, dude, that, that dude's iron hands were sweet, man. There was, like, snow effect all over them. It looked like they were, like, fresh out of a winter morning. Um, cool. I saw him on uh, your guys' Facebook page, the South Texas Facebook page. Yeah, dude, it was so good. It, they were so nice. And then uh, we actually had the best overall, like, badass. Who just, like, basically – uh, that was Greg Edder that won that one. Uh, but the way we did that, it was, you know, somebody with high points, high sportsmanship, 
but then it was kind of like a judge's choice. Like we just kind of like, you know, this dude all around just like overall, like made a, like stood out amongst everybody. Uh, so that we gave that one. That was the, the, basically the TFL badasses overall badass is what we called it. And, uh, the prize we gave away, I don't know if you heard about what we gave away, but, uh, we actually were fighting in the Zana system is the way we were working it out. And we went out and we named a star Zana prime. <laughs> and like, you gave them the title, the rights to a named star. Yeah. They, they own the star. So they, they own Zana prime, which is like, if you go type in like Zana prime and this like star directory thing, it says class forge world, like all this stuff. Like it's so <laughs> like, that's pretty funny. You can go out into the sky and like, see like, that's my star right there. I won that for, for, for being a fucking kick ass dude at this event. Like, and it's like, and this, I, I so hope that we like develop technology. Cause like, we've like sold all these rights to shit like that. Just like as a joke. Imagine like if something like aliens show up tomorrow and it's like a drastic change in how we live our lives and we can actually go to those places. Like, does that shit like actually, is that like a real binding contract? Is that going to like start wars and shit? Like I paid $5 to name the moon around this planet. Damn right. It does. <laughs> you damn right. It does. I. That is Greg's planet. You. <laughs> <laughs> I won this at a, a tabletop ga- gaming tournament. It's mine. It's mine. I mean, that's funny to think about. Yeah, I hope so. Like, I hope, like, like, could you, <laughs> could you imagine, like, you know how, like, stars go, like, critical, and, like, when they have their, uh... Supernova. Supernova, sometimes it'll, like, throw out some radiation, and, yep. like, it, there's, like, a possibility that, like, a gamma radiation could, like, fry our atmosphere and stuff. And then he gets sued for owning <laughs> star. For, for, <laughs> Like, what's your liability for, like, owning that star? It's like, ah, well, looking back at it, looks like this is your, you get people knocking on your door. It's like, well, well we're... they're taking you to small claims court because, like, their child got cancer. And like, yeah. <laughs> well, it's your name. It says you own it. You need to get better control of that star. So, yeah, we probably, that was probably the biggest liability we can give somebody. That's a lot of responsibility owning a star. There's yep. a lot of things that uh, could go wrong or go good with that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a lot more things that negatively could happen than good could happen out of owning a star. <laughs> like in the grand scheme of things. Uh, so yeah, we uh, we gave that away. It was, I mean, like I said, really everybody seemed to have a good time. Uh, we each wrote our missions. Uh, I. I was like really passionate about my mission uh, just because there was so many different, like, um, like I had, I think seven secondary objectives that you could choose from. And it was all secret objectives. Like you didn't have to tell your opponent what you were trying to do. And so this, the objectives were like, you know, you could capture these, um, these different uh, like transponder beacons, like basically that, like, these giant satellite arrays that were supposed to either communicate out or you could use them to move asteroids or you could like capture these, uh, or you could keep alive these giant fuel tanks or you could destroy the fuel tanks. And so the game was kind of like, okay, um, what are these people trying to do right now? And so 
you had some people who were like, oh, I'm trying to destroy the fuel tanks. And so they'd go out into the like first turn and he goes, blow up some fuel tanks. And you'd be like, oh, no, the, they're getting points for blowing up fuel tanks. So that you'd like keep them in close combat so they couldn't destroy fuel tanks. And it just so happened like one of the Alpha Legion players like first turn blows up fuel tank. End of the game, they're like, ha-ha, you have no points because you wanted to blow up the fuel tanks. And it's like, nope, I actually was supposed to keep them alive. <laughs> like you, <laughs> So he like, blew one up to throw him a head fake. Yep, and it's like classic misdirection. You thought I was trying to blow up fuel tanks. <laughs> and so it's like, it's mind fuck. Like it's just like the whole like the whole game, like when you don't know what your opponent's trying to do, at the end of the game, like I loved it every every round that happened on my table at the end of the round i'd be like so who won and like we have no idea yet and so like they're like going through like they <laughs> like it's just it's like i think i did good that game but i don't know like i really don't know and then it's just like bam bam then you like start revealing what secondary objective you you wrote down and like what secondary objective that you were trying to go for the whole game you're just like fuck you know <laughs> he's he's so clutch he's on all the objectives he needed <laughs> so it's definitely cool so yeah like you have no idea like you have no idea if you fucking won or not and it's like it's so like you think you did good but you have no idea what they were going for some alpha legion shit man just fuck your mind up (laughs) but uh something i guess what we took from that event man is uh 2500 points in three hours is just too many points for two people to play like I, I I know at Adepticon we. I, I so you're saying the team game, like not one on one. You're saying like when you combine it. Yeah, when it's five thousand points aside. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just like, I, d- did you play the uh, the Valley of the Kings at Adepticon? Yeah, uh, we. I played in the last round with uh, Zach. So like we got pretty far. I think we got like fourth or fifth turn into that Valley of Kings game, and that was three on three. But man, dude, like that was us just getting it like hobby and hardcore, like just no questions asked, just push on through. But I think it's just like if just the sheer amount of like overtalk that we had from a giant event going on behind us and just like not having a whole bunch of space to like set up, I think I think it all kind of hits at one time. There's a lot of things that have to go right in order to play that many people versus that, like two versus two or, you know, three versus three of that short amount of time frame. So, well, yeah. And it makes it hard. Like if you could plan it out where the guys, like people knew they were going to be doing that before they arrived. Cause you can kind of get your head right. You can, like wrap your head around it, like have an idea of, you know, how you're going to deploy or whatever. But if you have generals picking games, I mean, you're not going to know which table you're playing on. Yeah, so, exactly you may get somebody that's never played a big team game before or something like that. That's on it. And it, like you said, it kind of throws the whole, I mean, it's still fun to do it, but like you said, the time thing becomes a time crunch to try to get it done in that time window. Exactly. So if you're running an event and you plan on doing two V two, 2,500 each, rethink it. Think about your time. Make sure you have like a bunch of, uh, support at the table to answer questions. And then, uh, as well, make sure you like separate those tables so that they can don't have to walk around like 10 other tables to get to the other side. So, or you could even, it would be kind of a pain in the ass, but you could do something where they, like if you could have an event where people bring two lists, like they bring a 2,500 and a 1500 point list. And if they go on a two V two table, they only play, they play their smaller list. Boom. Something like that. 
Yeah, no, that'd be perfect. That's that's a solid, solid recommendation there. And I mean, we already made people bring two lists. So just shaving off a thousand points. It's not a problem. Yeah. I mean, if you obviously, you know, things play different at different points levels, but it should be fairly easy to, you know, have a lot of model crossover where you're not carrying around a bunch of extra stuff to do that. Yeah, exactly. Just to make it like a little, little tiny version of your 25. You'll be good. Right. So, but yeah, man, that's how Alamo GT went, man. I was pretty happy with it. It seemed like everybody had a good time. Uh, I'm really ready. Like took a lot of the information that we learned from this event and we're going to throw that into South Texas and flames three, which should happen sometime next year. You know, we talk about it and we tease it all the time, but like everything we do is in preparation for this event. So basically it's like a year in the making. So like, I just, y'all are just going to have such a good time for those of y'all that come. I'm going to try to make it like when I say try to make it like, it's going to be hard to keep me away from it. I really do plan on coming. So I'm hoping it's like a, it's like a, one of those bug zappers, man. It's just like a, a beacon in Texas that people come to. And, and then it kills us. And then that's it not... kills you. Yeah, that's right. Then take your <laughs> and then you die. <laughs> yep. Then we get a whole bunch of new 30 K armies and it's just a farce. <laughs> so yeah, man, I'm pretty excited about that, but, before that, before we get to get some sweet stiff three action, let's talk about this uh, summer escalation campaign. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I said okay because I've been talking with you about this and I've never used this uh, uh, OS uh, 30K cam- campaign system before. So I'm going to be learning along uh, with everybody else when you explain what's going on. Okay. So let's break this down. So for starters, there's going to be a summer escalation campaign. Okay, uh, this is something that is in the works right now uh, amongst the I have horse part. Oh my gosh, that was fucked up. The <laughs> yeah, dude, I like I totally messed them up. It's the I have horse podcast, the Age of Darkness podcast, the Varangian. I, I, the Swedish guys, the, the Swedish, Swedish podcast. The, the Swedish, yeah, Ver, Ver, uh <laughs> podcast, Northern Heresy, the CZ Initiative podcast. Uh, basically, all of us got together and we we have this like sweet chat that's on uh that's on Facebook, and we've decided to run a giant global escalation. I'm sorry, also the Loaded Dice podcast, and. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to take each have our own planet. Each podcast will have their own planet and you will basically based on the area that you're in, like for South uh, USA, you'll have, you'll be us North USA. You'll be CZ initiative. So and, do I, am I on the CZ initiative then? No, you can be on us. You're good. Okay. So I'm, I'm still honorary Texan. So I'm crossing, <laughs> crossing the borders. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, like, you know, there'll be a Canada one, there'll be an Australia one, there'll be a Swedish one. And then, of course, if, you know, you, you, you can play on whichever planet you want. Each podcast will have their own planet, which will be set up on OS30K. And on that planet, what you'll do is every battle you have, you'll record their battles, and you will put them towards that planet's campaign. And so you'll declare yourself loyalist or traitor, 
and every battle you play, however many points it is, which were the points will be limited because it is an escalation campaign. It'll go towards that planet and it'll show on that planet, you know, how many battles and who's winning the planet loyalists or traders. And, uh, there will be special things that we've been talking about and we're going to run the, uh, the actual, um, book four campaign, um, rules where your, your like commander can get upgrades and stuff like that. Like he'll get to evolve with you. And so that's going to be some cool things that you'll have to keep track of. And pretty much your local guys will, will know about it as well. But, uh, this is actually going to be something we're going to start out, uh, every month and it's going to start in June and every month it's going to be an increase. So first it's going to be 500 points, which will be June. July will be a thousand points. August will be 1500. And then we'll, 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 we'll finish out at 2,500. We're going to try and basically run it through the whole summer. And so well, I mean, it's going to be a good way to get people who are new to the game and new to the hobby get them in so we you know we set that 500 point start 500 point is so easy to get in 30k if you're for whatever reason just listening to this just now and you know not really sure whether you want to jump in 500 points is super easy to get just go buy horus yeah yeah exactly get yourself a betrayal calf box split it with your buddy and you could take the terminators and he'll take the 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 contemptor and split the tag squad. It's going to be good because we're going to be running Zone Mortalis for the first month. So first month, you're going to get a lot of Zone Mortalis games going, and so there's not a whole lot of uh, uh, chart that you have to fill out. So, you know, I think uh, I think one Calf box will get you two 500-point armies. So, but Yeah, I think I added up the points. I think there's like 17, depending on how you equip stuff, there's like 1,700 points in that box. Yeah, absolutely. So you will be using the standard zone mortalis force organization chart. So just jumping in, you should be fine with any calf box or anything like that. You'll probably be overqualified if you just purchase calf box by yourself, but we are going to go ahead and run that, uh, that campaign during the summer and we will give updates on each of the podcasts. So our podcast will have updates on our area uh, Northern Heresy will have update, updates in their area. I mean, everybody is going to give updates on their planets on their podcast. So it's just like this huge culmination of worldwide heresy, kind of like uh, old GW used to do back in the day. So we're really excited about it, guys. Uh, we're like super excited to, to have you guys in on it and making making new armies. I'm excited to make a new army. I don't know about you, but... Well, I'm already, I have so many armies I'm trying to add to right now. I'm caught between do, because I'm just now kind of started doing my Blood Angels. Um, I've had, I mean, I have a bunch of stuff for them, but like I said before, I, uh, most of it was like stuff to use in 40K. So I have very little infantry. Most of it's like tanks and bikes. So I'm considering just continually working on my Blood Angels, but like use the Escalation campaign as an excuse to paint more infantry. Or just say, screw it, start a whole new army and do militia and use the little bit that I have that I brought to Adepticon for the Zone Mortalis there and as a base and build from there. So what do you think, Michael? What do you want to see me do? Personally, I want to see you start a new army. That's just me. Like I always want to see people start new armies. Do you want to see me start a whole new militia army? No, I want to see you build off your current militia army. Well, that's what I meant. I mean, because all I have is... 
I basically have the base 500 points to play zone and that's it. Anything beyond that I'd have to. Yeah. I want to see that militia army grow, grow into something great. Yeah. All right. We'll do it. I'll try to do two armies at once. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, <laughs> if I have to do it, you have to do it too. Like I'm, I'm still going to be working on my blood angels, but at the same time I'm going to be dark mechanicum, which I don't have a trader army. So this is going to be like, uh, it's going to be real dark for me. It's going to be real, real dark. Yeah. So, but I have a good plan of how I'm going to run some dark mechanicum. Probably get my ass whooped because I have no idea how mechanicum runs, but you know, we'll find <laughs> out. Yeah. Couldn't hurt. Oh, my guys are going to die in droves just because they're militia. <laughs> that was four hours. Four hours. Four to hours. Paint that four guy. Painted this two point shit bird. <laughs> so, yeah, guys, look forward to that escalation campaign. Uh, that's really all I have to announce on that. If you haven't heard any of our, like, other friends podcasts, man, you should go check them out. If you enjoy listening to us, you'll definitely enjoy listening to the Eye of Horrors podcast, the Age of Darkness podcast, the Loaded Dice podcast, the Varangian Heresy podcast. The Swedish podcast. podcast. The Swedish podcast. (laughs) The Northern Heresy podcast and the Seize Initiative podcast. And, uh, I mean, there's so many podcasts out there, so much good content. Uh, everything about all those other podcasts will, we'll, I mean, you're going to get good information out of all of them. Uh, definitely uh, go check out uh, warhammerpodcast.com and that will actually have pretty much, I mean, you'll, you might have found this episode on there, but if you keep scrolling down, you'll see all of the other uh, podcasts that are, that are, that we're cool with. I'm pretty sure there's others out there that we don't know about and I feel like a, you know, just reach out to us and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get in contact with you. But you know, those, those are the ones we know about. And those are the ones that we talk with like nonstop. We're in this group chat. That's like, does not stop. Yeah. I obviously listen to I have horse. I started listening to the Varangian one, the Swedish podcast. Um, Freddie's on there. He's been on I have horse a couple of times. So if you're, they talk about Freddie, the Swede all the time. He's one of the guys on that podcast. He's a uh, pretty funny. So, it's definitely a cool podcast too. Yeah, so go check them out, guys. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and take a break. We're gonna put some music on for you, and then we're gonna go ahead and review that list. So y'all, uh, y'all take it easy. Just you know, try to sit back, enjoy some music. See you in a minute.
All right, welcome back, guys. Uh, so now, just like we uh, promised earlier in the show, we actually have a list for you. Uh, this is actually going to be in from, let me see this guy's name. It's Variance Hammer out of Reddit. So uh, this is an Imperial Fist list, and uh, you're actually pretty lucky because Ryan like went into some super deep detail with this list on uh, on what could make it fun and make it fluffy. Uh, yeah, he actually titled it the Imperial Fist Void War list. That's right, right, Ryan. It's a that's that's correct. I'm reading it here. So it's like uh, so it's an Imperial Fist list. Uh, looking at it, it is a Void War list taking of the Contrador style Imperial Fist force that he wants to be fluffy. Uh, he said competitive is a bonus, but it's got to have the feel first. Uh, it's made using the Drop Pot Assault and which we, there's a little bit of contention about. Uh, ironically, I think it does large-scale Void War better than some other feels like it should be, is what he wrote. So I guess let's go ahead and touch base on this list. So first things first, he has HQ, which is Alexis Pollux. How do you feel about Alexis? Um, Alexis is good. Uh, obviously, he's very fluffy for Imperial Fist and boarding, um, and he obviously was at, you know, was in command of the actual boarding of the Contrador fluff-wise, so it's pretty much a perfect choice for this army. So, Alexis is a go. Uh, then he went with the Legion Centurion, Primus Medicae with power at weapon and Artificer Armor, and I think really on that one, uh, Primus Medicae with any sort of uh, void war action is going to be a good choice just for, for Feel No Pain, right? Just plugging that guy anywhere and he's he needs to right be. right he's definitely good um the only recommended uh recommendations i had for him was a little bit of a war gear swap um and i would give him a because he doesn't have a invulnerable save um so i recommended giving him a boarding shield and a power fist and i did power fist over power weapon because if you take a boarding shield you never get the bonus for two close combat weapons, so you might as well go, you know, fist, since you're going to be losing the attack anyway. You might as well get the strength bonus. The nice thing about the boarding shield, though, is if anybody has a boarding shield, they automatically come with defensive grenades. Oh, yeah, disorder charge. Uh, well, it used in 6th edition, it used to be disorder charge. Now it's just, it just says minus one attack. So it doesn't shut off... Um, like Furious Charge or bonuses like that, but it does shut off the extra attack for charging. Which is just, you know, one less attack that you got to feel no pain. But the thing about that is, the we'll get to it later on, but he's putting this in a unit of Terminators that none of those guys have a boarding shield. So by putting this guy in there, the whole squad will count as defensive grenades, even only one guy has them. That's just how the rules work. So for a 10-point upgrade you're giving your Centurion a invulnerable save and also essentially equipping an entire squad with defensive grenades. And then you're giving him a power fist, so, like, he's ripping Gene Seed out of people that die. So uh, <laughs> you, should, you should get, like, extra points for that fluff one. Yeah, yeah, it gets an extra big Narthesium or whatever. <laughs> now, I guess I just figured that, like, maybe his Narthesium's on the hand that holds the boarding shield and he can, like, you know, plant the shield in the ground in front of him and then go to work on a guy. No, I just I just picture him like just like ripping gene seed out of people, like using two fingers to like make a big ass hole and then just grabbing it out. 
Like it maybe like one of his like the tips of his fingers has like a straw that like uh, Gene seed in just got it. Let's I get moving, boys. I guess that'll work too. And then he's at the front of the fucking unit with his shield, blocking everybody, giving everybody a invulnerable save. Right, and then I was the extra fifteen points because it's ten points for the boarding shield and five points for the power fist. I built his list in um, uh, Battle Scribe, and it was fifteen points short, which we'll get to that in a minute on why I think it was. So he wasn't—he wouldn't have to change anything to upgrade this. He'd literally just add it in. And but you're keeping artificer armor, right? Yes. Oh yeah, keeping that good-looking armor. All right, so for elites, he had an apothecary with a power sword and outer fist armor. Uh, would you do the same thing there? Or? Um, I mean, it's it's a fine choice. I mean, it's not. I mean, like I said, for his list, uh, you know, if you took that guy out, you're only going to end up with like you know 50, 60 points. I don't really know what you would do with that, other than if I don't, we don't know what this grenade thing is going to mean uh, for, you know, if it's going to stay you know, if, or if 30 K is going to adopt it. I did notice later on in his list, he's got a breacher unit that does not have melt bombs. Right. So if he found that he was struggling in close combat with stuff, you know, or needed more anti-tank, you, this, that would be the first thing I would get rid of is the apothecary to put melt bombs on the breachers. It should be basically an even swap, but you know, if it does go to the only one melt bomb per unit and 30 K adopts it, then yeah, I mean, this is, I would stick probably with this. Yeah. I, yeah, it, I mean, you, you would actually replace survivability for melt bombs to, for destructive power. Like that, it seems like he's using that apothecary to keep his boys alive. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I mean, apothecaries aren't bad. I guess I've always, they're just kind of, this is just my personal bias. So don't, and I, they definitely do their job sometimes. I just feel like, for one, they're overused and gimmicky. Like, everybody throws them in every list. It's like the preschool move. Oh, this gives me feel no pain. Let's use an apothecary. Boom. Like, I just I want to, just want to be, I don't know, just be a man about shit. Just, like, <laughs> you know, use your brain and tactics and don't get your guys killed. Don't rely on just rolling extra dice. Um, use those points for something else. Uh, but, I mean, looking at the, like, okay, because coming up, he's got a 15-man breacher squad. Yeah, fifteen man breacher squad with their boarding shield, an apothecary, their bump up for being imperial fist, like that is a fucking rock of a unit. Like it's oh, not- it's, it's it's hard to kill. Don't get me wrong, but also keep in mind that I mean, there's a ton of strength eight and above stuff in thirty k. So and those guys are still only three up armor saves. So I mean, if you get shot with Medusa's battle cannons, punched by you know, power fist, get into a unit of Terminators with power fist and chain fist. Like you're not going to get that save anyway. Yeah. As many Typhons as I've seen running around lately. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's my other thing. Like feel no pain. Not that it's definitely not bad, but I found a lot of times, um, I, I've quit using apothecaries. Um, I, I like, uh, other consoles better. Um, and I found like, so I don't really use them anymore. But playing against other people, I found that I'm very easily to work like where I work around it, where they very rarely get their feeling of pain. Yeah. Just because I, I make sure I target that unit with like a whole unit of guys like Terminators with Power Fist, or that's the unit I shoot with, you know, like you said, like my Medusa or whatever, and I don't have to worry about it anyway. So it's just a, 
it's something that your opponent, if they know what they're doing, can take away from you if, if, you know, if they so choose, if they have the right tools in their list. So learn to live without it so you can overcome it. It's like a, it's like a drug, not apothecary heroin. Yeah. All right. So after the apothecary, next thing he's got on the list is the Legion Terminator squad with cataphract armor and Elisasti. I don't know how to say that word. So I'm just going to just say, just say assault cannon. The fair, the list bundus pattern assault cannon, <laughs> two chain fist, two power fist, a vigil and vigil pattern storm shields. I think that's what one thing that you were talking about was, uh, Mister Elibundus pattern assault cannon guy can't take the storm shield. So I think that's where that fifteen points came from. Correct, because if I did his list um, in uh, Battle Scribe, it came up nineteen eighty five because. He said he just because it, it, the the list that he sent us just says Vigil Paladin Storm Shields. It doesn't give the quantity or who which actual guys have them. So I just assume that he's meaning all five guys, and the points would suggest that that's what he intended to do. Right. But because you have to give up the shooting weapon to get the shield, so you can't if you're going to take an assault cannon also take a storm shield. So that means this unit's only going to have four storm shields. Um, so the only guy that actually has a shooting attack is the assault cannon guy, but that also gives you the extra 15 points. If you want to actually stick to this to upgrade the, uh, Primus Medicaid without having to change anything. Yeah. And sorry if you've already converted that model, cause that sounds like a badass model to convert up like with a, a storm shield and like an assault can like kind of like breacher style, you know? Right. I always thought that would be cool. Like if they gave you the option of, what weapon you switch. I mean, it wouldn't be super competitive because then you would just be punching people with normal close combat attacks. Right. But how cool would it be to have like a Terminator with a Storm Bolter and a shield? So it's like, just like, like you said, like a beefier breacher, like have a super breacher unit. It'd be pretty cool. And then you just like dot people in their face with the assault cannon tip. Just <laughs> boom. Yeah, that'd be tight. So, so yeah, the Primus Medicaid is supposed to join that unit. And that, I mean, that's a, it's a beefy unit. Uh, you got to keep it moving because, I mean, there's just a lot of things. There. A lot of people are going to sling some templates or some insta-death your way. But, I mean, the storm shields. Yeah, you still got a three-up invul there, so God. it's pretty good. And then if you put the boarding shield on the guy, like I said, they take a charge really well, even though it's a small unit of only six guys. Um, they take a charge really well because they're not going to get the bonus for charging you anyway because that guy will have defensive grenades. Man, what a cool visual on that one. Just like the, I just imagine the apothecary like sitting up front, just like taking the brunt of these charges from like world eaters and shit and like, let them be waves upon us as rocks or something, you know? <laughs> God. Yeah. Definitely be cool. So that's a sweet lit. That's a sweet, uh, choice there next he's got the contemptor mortis dreadnought with twin assault cannon so i'm guessing twin carries yeah so, that's the only ones he can take yeah so i'm guessing this is some sort of anti-air in this list of boarding party just in case there's a void where there's like a xiphon flying around inside of a ship somewhere <laughs> well i was confused like but like i said i was a little confused by that because he says he wants it to be very fluffy and he's saying it's supposed to be a void war list that's supposed to like represent board taking of the contrador, 
So this seems like a weird choice because you like a mortise doesn't seem like a very good boarding dreadnought because like we like it like fluff wise it's like how does this guy get through doors you would literally just have to like waste most of your ammo shooting through doors you know to get like bulkheads to get through them um but on so the you, same token if you're in a hallway and that was on the other end of the hallway oh yeah it definitely wouldn't be fun you're not going down that hallway like, that's just the well, no, you... but I mean, I mean, like I said, you could easily just switch to like a, a, a normal contemptor or cordis or something like that, and still run one carries and still have a secondary gun. It's not going to be quite as shooty, but it does give you that close combat flexibility and seems to be way more fluffy for this style of list. Man, I would, especially a cordis because, like, with the uh, the running benefits and the overtaxed uh, the overtaxing benefits that you could put on it. Right, you just can give him rage and give him stuff like that. Just make that dude haul ass everywhere. Especially the rage thing, dude. That's that's why I run Cortis. Just... Right. Well, and you consider, like, the only drawback on that thing is it's got a little bit weaker side armor, and its shield only works to the front, but that's, like, fine for boarding because you're going to be wedged in these tight hallways that you can easily keep your, uh, keep your front face protected. In. Yeah. Yeah, ain't nobody going to deep strike behind you. You'd be all right. Just run forward. <laughs> Don't look back. So, so maybe not with the Contemptor Mortis. I get it. He's probably planning the list to be like an all comers list. It's a right. It's it's like his piece of like competitiveness sleeping. Like just like. Yeah, coming, but he said out. said it has to be fluffy more than competitive. That's what he said. Okay. So, so drop <laughs> drop that Contemptor Mortis. It doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> we did twin ass cannons. Sounds cool. Yeah, you you can take a dreadnought, just don't. Just, the mortise doesn't make sense fluff wise. Speaking of fluff, and moving on to his troop section, we've got ten man tactical squads with Nuncio Vox. Sergeant has a power weapon, artificer armor, and melta bombs. Everyone's loaded in a drop pod. There's actually two squads of this ten man tactical squad. So, you, you probably said one of the funniest things about this loadout. Just go ahead and. Tell people how you feel about the drop pods in a... Okay, so so in a normal... Like, once again, we don't really know... Like, he, he could have just wrote this fluff thing, but like you said, he's actually building an all-comers list, so I don't mean to, like, hammer on the guy. Um, but, I mean, if you're truly trying to make a shipboarding list, like he, he's saying, it's, it's taking of the Contrador, the hell good does a drop pod do you? Like, okay, you get loaded up into drop pods, and they shoot you at the ship, and you're literally just going to deflect off of it or slam into it and explode. <laughs> they're, they're not made. Uh, they're not made to board uh, ships. So just, just boom, boom, boom. Like, like I'm pretty sure one Praetor made that mistake one time and saw <laughs> six little baby explosions on the side of a ship, and I was like, "Oh my, what have I done?" That was my yeah. I mean, they like my honor. And guard. even if, like I said, if they just like hit and bounce off, like I mean, there's no way they don't have like. In no fluff I've ever read, do they have like, like where they slow down and like mag clamp to a ship, and then the guys get out and try to cut their ways through, or what? It, like I just don't, there it just doesn't work at all fluff wise for, you know, like imagining these guys trying to build like board ship, like we talked about, they're just gonna bounce off or shatter on the hull or something. I don't know. They've got but, a, like Star Trek, uh, uh, the latest Star Trek where they have to like shoot into a little hole that's open. <laughs> like make it yeah in but even that i mean i don't i don't know it's there's a lot of funny visuals when you think about 
like what would happen to these guys trying to actually board a ship with a normal drop pod. But I mean, as far as loadout goes, like if he's actually just planning this to be like an all comers list, yes, like that's not a bad loadout. I mean, that's pretty much how because I run a I run a salamander drop assault list, and that's roughly how I run my guys. Um, you I go you go power weapons? I, no, that's why I, I was I don't run power weapons on them. I just run bolters. I just put melt bombs on them and keep them cheap. Let me let me explain. Like I always ran power weapons because I thought it was just like a. It's like hell yeah, power weapon. I'm gonna sling through some some uh some space marines. And then one time I played Jay, and he took power a power fist, and he says, you know, hey, I issue a challenge to your sergeant. And I'm like, fuck yeah, let's do this. And I get my power weapon attacks. He's like, oh yeah, I took artificer armor too. And then he just crushes me with his power fist. And so after that, just never taking power weapons. Yeah, and, and then if you look at the reverse, like if say say me and you were playing each other and I have artificer armor and my sergeant, you do too. And then we both take axes or fists. We just mutually kill each other. Yeah. Now, you know, so I guess my thing is like a tactical squad, nobody else is very good in assault. So I get, I just try to keep mine just purely for shooting. So I typically, to be totally honest, the way I typically load mine out, I just give melt bombs to the sergeant. I don't give him any other upgrades. And even I don't on there, other like... artificer armor. Oh, really? Yep. I mean, if I have extra points, like if I get to the end of the list and there's like 35 extra points, you can't really buy anything but war gear with that. Um, if, if I'll, you know, I'll throw it on there. It's the first upgrade I would put back on them. But typically I don't, I don't like, it's just one of those things. I don't really bother with it. They're just tactical Marines. Use, use points in better places. Yep. I try to. I gotcha. Yeah, I could see, I could see why you feel that way. Yeah, and then I mean, I don't normally take a nuncio box, but it makes sense in this list because he's. It looks like his plan is those drop pods will come in, and if they survive, then when Pollux or uh, when Pollux and the Breacher Squad deep strike in, or if you wanted the deep strike, the the Castus, you they wouldn't scatter if you land close to the uh, tactical guys. So it makes sense in this list. And here's a fun fact, if you didn't know, the Nuncio Vox, this is just for you, Variance Hammer, I'm pretty sure you knew this, Ryan. Uh, the Nuncio Vox is measured from the whole unit. So whenever you step out of that drop pod, uh, make sure you spread your guys out, because for one, they're probably going to get smashed by some uh, some sort of template weapon. But on top of that, you can measure the six inches from anywhere in that unit for your Nuncio Vox. So... It makes a pretty big footprint for Pollux and uh, the Terminator squad to come in. Yeah, I've always thought it was weird they worded that that way, but the Augury scanner is the reverse, where it's only measured from the model with the scanner. Yeah, I've always thought that too. But I did not know, and I've always like, especially like playing Raven Guard with like you know a bunch of drop, like bunch of deep strikers. I've always thought like, okay, this six inches is garbage, so I'm just gonna take. Uh, uh, strike Commander Mon for his massive range, and then I think I heard like on Aya Horus where they were talking about how they didn't realize it was like this massive footprint, like you could spread out this whole squad and basically have this like long tendril of uh, deep strike protected. Yep. So, so yeah, there's that. Uh, so what's next on the list? The Breacher Squad, the 15 man Breacher Squad, three melted guns, Sergeant has artificer armor and a thunder hammer. This is an excuse to use awesome forge world boarding machines, boarding marines. They also get an attached prothecary. 
Pollux goes here and brings the squad via deep strike. That's a mean ass squad coming in like in one deep striking turn. Just a super vulnerable squad. Yep. Um it's definitely good, but like I said, it doesn't have melt the bomb, so if you deep strike that thing in and I assault you with a Leviathan or a Contemptor, you're and you have the apothecary instead of the melt bombs like we talked about, it's it's done it's done so. Um Yeah, one thing look. one thing I was looking at the squad is what is it made for? Like you look at the squad itself, 15-man Breacher Squad, and like if you generally just think about what you're going to see on the table, you don't see big blocks of Marines. You don't see like assault squads ever. So this is going to come in, and you're either going to be looking down the face of a tank, you're going to be looking down the face of a Dreadnought, or you're going to be looking down the face of a, I don't know, like a, a transport. So Yeah, I mean, I guess I just looked at it like... It is a good fluff option for his style of list, and right. I mean, it, and it, it's another scoring unit. It gives you a third troop choice at two thousand, which you kind of need. So, I mean, I don't, I get what exactly what you're saying, Michael. That it doesn't. I mean, that's just like, I mean, if we're going to go down that road, though, like, I mean, you've already had this talk for other things. Like, why bother taking a lot of things? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, I I get what he's trying to do. Um, with Pollux and the Thunderhammer Sergeant and the and the Apothecary in there, it's pretty fighty in close combat, you know, versus other infantry. Um, and then I guess against tanks, if it, they don't have armored ceramite, you know, the three melted guns, it's pretty good. And then um, in close combat, it's not. I guess in close combat, I guess I against dreadnoughts and stuff, it wouldn't be too bad because I just remember Pollux is strength five, so he does have a strength ten power fist. So. I guess it's not too bad. Maybe that's why he didn't put melt bombs on there. He thinks he can uh, just wreck face with the the strength ten power fist. Maybe. Basically, this looks like a a seventeen wound Pollux. Like yeah, is is yeah. That's probably what he's going for. Which is fine. There's, I mean, it's definitely a viable tactic. So, fluffy, yes, because it's a massive breacher squad that Pollux is yep. leading, and deep striking even better. You know the other. I just thought about this. The other thing he can do to get melted bombs and still keep the apothecary is just lower the members of the squad a little bit. To like thirteen men. Um, I'd have to do the math because I, what I think a breacher, an extra breacher is like fifteen points maybe. So I think if he got rid of four breachers, he'd have enough to equip eleven of them with melted bombs. So I think if he dropped four, went to an eleven man squad, or you might, you know. Just drop it down to to the base ten. Put melt the bombs on those ten, and then use the other points uh, elsewhere. But like I said, it, it, it this is all a moot point if you know you can only use one melt the bomb a unit. For then, you know this is all. Then just put melt the bombs on the sergeant and call it good. So pre FAQ melt bombs, post FAQ. Yep. No melt. Don't worry about it. Yeah. All right. So next thing he has on the list is a Cestus assault ram with missile launchers, and that's where the Terminator squad's going to be riding. That's going to be their shagging wagon. So, I mean that that's a pretty beefy little flyer there to come. Yeah. 
It's armor 13 with four hole points. Uh, I believe it comes standard with uh, armored ceramite. So it's definitely hard to kill. Um, my only problem with it is I think his Terminator unit, the way it's currently loaded out, is pretty close to... It's probably like... I forget, I don't have the... Because he didn't have the points written on here. Just looking at it, it's probably roughly around 275 points, give or take. And then the flyer is 300, so you got basically 600. Oh, plus the Primus Medicaid is going in there. So he's going to have like a 700-point unit off all in turn. one. Yeah. yeah, that starts off the board that's all, you know, in one package. So if you get screwed on your reserve rolls, you're in a little bit of trouble. Which happens and also, all the time. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, once again, this is definitely fluffy. The Cestus Ram is, you know, it's literally built for boarding other ships. So... Um, I like the choice fluff-wise for the list. I'm not sold on the Cestus, Castus, however you say it, um, just as a model competitively. I feel like it's a little, mm, just a little points heavy for what it does. I mean, it's not terrible by any means, but but it's definitely fluffy for this list. Um, if he wanted to save some points... Looking at this list, if you wanted to save points, probably the very first thing I would do is swap that out for a Storm Eagle. If he wants to, I mean, it's still fluffy, you know, because you can still fly the Storm Eagle over, fly into the, you know, landing bay of the other ship and get out, which that happens like in almost every 30K book I've read. <laughs> so that's a viable tactic. And it still has uh, the two twin link, you can put two twin link last cannons on it. Multi twin link multi multi in the nose, um, and the uh, it has the missile launcher on top. So I actually feel like it overall probably has slightly more firepower than the Castus. It's the same number of hull points. It's just a little less armored, and the guys still fit in it fine, and it's still an assault vehicle. So it'd just be a good way, you know, to save around fifty points, but for a quick swap out. But I mean, either one would work. Yeah, I mean, maybe as well, if he keeps the Cestus, he can explain that, like, it's flying to the ships, punching holes in them so the drop pods can come in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, very small margin of error to get your drop pod into that hole, but, you know, hey. So, I don't know. But last on the list <laughs> is the Dreadclaw for the Contemptor Mortis. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, you got to have some... Uh, you, I don't believe the Contemptor. I don't have my book sitting right here with me. I don't know. If I, can the Contemptor... I mean, we obviously talked about not liking drop pods in this list. If he's going to stick with the drop pods on the tacticals, though, he may consider putting the Contemptor in a Dreadnought drop pod if it can take one. I don't I don't even know if a Mortis can or not. I don't run them very often. Do you know, Michael? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, the Contemptor Mortis can ride in the Dreadclaw. No, 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 I know it can ride in a Dreadclaw. Can it take a Dreadnought drop pod? Oh, no, Instead. no, it cannot, no. Contemptor oh. Mortis cannot take a Dreadclaw. Okay. Or so cannot take a drop pod. Okay. That's why uh, That's why you got to go Mortis if you want to go that route. Or not Mortis, uh, Cortis. Cortis or a standard Contemptor. Yeah. 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 That, so obviously yeah. This, this makes sense for the list, but um, like we talked about, we. I mean, I still feel like a normal... Contemptor or Cordis uh, makes more sense fluff-wise for this style of list. Um, and then also, 
when you look at it just from a competitive thing, the dread call lands and the mortis has to get out so it can't stay stationary, so it's not using its skyfire that turn. There's just a lot of little things. Like I feel like a contemptor mortis just wants to start on the table as opposed to be put in reserve and drop pot in. Yeah. It seems kind of like a a waste of uh what it's meant for. You know? But Yeah. And then on top of that, it, you know, if you wanted to save points, I would and you wanted to keep the assault cannon dread, I'd switch it out for a contemptor cortis with uh, dual carries and a dreadnought drop pod. It would save you points, and he could basically sit inside the drop pod and fire out. It's gonna be a right. lot less maneuverable than the actual dread claw, but you know, for what you're trying to use it for, I'm pretty sure your dread claw is gonna drop. Contemptor is gonna come out, and he's gonna sit wherever he's at. So for this, for about the same, you can switch out to that, uh, to that Cortis, who's gonna have a little bit worse of a ballistic skill, but you know, with that many shots, you're still gonna be doing yeah. something. Yeah, for sure. So that's your list. So I mean, on a on a fluff wise, it's kind of the the drop pods kind. Yeah, I mean, fluff. I mean, I get exactly what he was trying to do, and maybe he just like, and I and I don't know, like, like I said, maybe he was trying to just say. I mean, he does specifically say it's a shipboarding list, though. So I just don't. My big hangup in this entire list is what the like. You cannot board a enemy ship with drop pods, at least in no way that I can imagine or I've ever read in the fluff. So, so fluff wise, that's my big hangup. Uh. Competitive wise, it's gonna be a little bit tougher with it. You're gonna have some trouble with some of the the mainstream less people are running. Uh, I don't know what your local meta looks like, but uh, uh, the way, from what I've seen, there's a lot of you know orbital assault lists that are gonna be coming out. So you'd be really vulnerable to other orbital assault lists just because you know I would imagine if you're gonna get first turn. There's going to be a lot of uh, alpha striking lists that are gonna you're going to basically fall into, and they're going to get get at you piecemeal. So there's not going to be a whole lot of time to uh, to to get your bearings with this kind of list. Uh, if you if you want to run an orbital assault list that's going to be competitive, uh, there are going to be some things that need to get changed up to make things either lock things in combat or destroy stuff first turn or uh, get ready for things that are going to orbital assault you back. Uh, well, first up, first step, if you run an orbital assault list, that's 2000 points or more. You need a minimum, a minimum of seven drop pods typically, because then you're going to start with four and have three in reserve. If you have any less than that, you're starting with so few units on turn one that you're usually in trouble. Yeah. So this list right here, First turn, you have two units. That's two, it. two units on the table versus uh, versus two thousand points, and that yeah, yeah. If you're if you're playing against anybody that's running a just a normal like Death Guard, uh, the Reaping list or anything like that, you're coming in. <laughs> you're everything's getting pushed off the table first turn because I mean, for one, you're probably going to bring in. I would imagine a drop pod and the contemptor mortis. Yep. Yeah. So those are going to come in first turn. 
drop pod's good. I mean, drop pod's going to come in. You're probably going to bring the dread claw. It's probably going to turbo boost so that you can jink, uh, or I guess just so you can get it out wherever you want it. Right. Uh, that drop pod and that unit that just came out of the drop pod, if you're playing against any army that's started on the board, they're immediately just going to be just like putting, putting a, putting a little, I don't, I don't know. Like that's my other problem with putting a shoot, a shooting unit in the dread claw when on the turn it comes in in order to shoot, you have to get out and then you're not, you're losing the protection of the, the dread claw. Yeah. That's like that the, sense. the bravest thing a space Marine can do is like, okay, we're going to be the first drop the, we're going to be the first drop pod into the battle. Nice. Right. So I, I typically like putting assault, more assault style units uh, in dread claws. That way they can, you know, they're not really missing out on any shooting. So you come in, it gives them a turn of survivability with your jink or whatever. And then on the next turn, they can get out and immediately assault because it's an assault vehicle. Yes, absolutely. So it, it's a, there's going to be, there's a lot of things that the list is uh, susceptible to, like Typhons, sitting unit. Uh, other assaulting armies, so it's it's a. Uh, there are some things that we would change up just to, just to make it a little bit more competitive, and to make it fluffy. But you're super in luck because Ryan actually made you another list that's both. It's more more competitive, more fluffy. I think it hits more of the point on what you want. But on top of that, uh, it's uses most of the models that you already have. And I think the only thing that you need to pick up is uh, a couple of uh, Terminator squads and a couple of Dreadclaws. But we'll, we'll go over that. Ryan, if you want to take the lead on the list you made them and why you chose the things you did. Okay, so we'll go through this as quick as I can. So I kept Pollux as his HQ. I really like, you know, I like Pollux. Almost every Imperial Fist player likes Pollux. Um, he's very fluffy for the list, so he's he stays. Guy. Good dude. Nice he guy. Wa- watches his kids on the weekends when he's supposed to. <laughs> Great dad. Up on his child support t- payments. He's a good guy. Yep. Um, I mean, he cheated on his wife with uh, Dantioch, but we won't go there. Um, Who wouldn't? So uh, I still kept the Breacher Squad, but I dropped it down to uh, 10 guys. Um, the Sergeant, I gave. I just gave the Sergeant Melt-A-Bombs and a Power Fist. Um, and then I put your two melta guns in there. Obviously, it's only two instead of three because it's one per five. So the unit's pretty much the same other than th- that you had. Um, the sergeant still has artificer armor, two. So I basically just swapped the power weapon for the fist um, for one because I had points and two because you're imperial fist and it's kind of fluffy. It looks cool. And once again, when you have a boarding shield, you can only ever you never gain the bonus for two weapons. So if you have the points, you might as well go with that fist to get the extra strength. There's really no sense in not doing it. So I kept that breacher, or I got that 10 man breacher unit. Um, Oh, by the way, instead of taking orbital assault, I took master of the, uh, for the master of the Legion, I took pride of the Legion. So in this particular list, uh, terminators and veteran tactical squads uh, can be taken as troops. So anyway, the that first troop squad was the breacher unit. So the second unit I took was your uh, the same Terminator squad that you had here with the uh, power or with the storm shields, but uh, I changed it from Cataphracty to Tartaros. So you'll be able to 
run and also sweeping advance, which is a big deal with a unit that basically has no shooting. Because if you're not within range of anything, you want to run to get within range. And also, um, if you're this unit is probably going to win a lot of combats, but because it's small, it's only five guys. You may win the combat, and your opponent will a lot of times, you know, break. So it's good to be able just to sweep them and remove them instead of you know them just getting away or whatever. Just clearing them out. Just, just clearing them out. So I put them in Tartaros instead of the Cataphracty. So I changed the unit to just have, I got rid of the assault cannon. So it's just, uh, it's five guys with storm shields and then two of them have chain fist and three of them have power fist. So it's pretty much the same unit minus the assault cannon, just adding in, you know, another, uh, power fist and storm shield and then, uh, swapping over the armor to Tartaros so you can run and, um, sweep. And those guys, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, like, that's just thinking about, like, a Void War. Like, you're not going to want to send your Cataphracti into, like, a ship. You want some, like, movable, like, some mobile Tataris, like, booking it in that fucking ship. Like, hands down, like, fluff-wise, seems like such a good option. Right. I, I feel like I, I like it a lot better, too. Um, so then for the third troop choice, it's another five-man Terminator squad, but this one's loaded out totally different. So these guys are the Cataphracts that he that he had in the original list, but instead of having the close combat weapons, I have uh, one guy with an assault cannon, and then the other four guys all have combi plasmas. So they can come in and just, just absolutely shoot the shit out of something. Eight, and um, Eight plasma shots on the turn that they fall in. Correct, and the assault cannon added in, and then two. Then um, you can arm the other. Uh, I have two of them for close combat. Two of them have chain fists, and then the other three you can give whatever power weapons you want. I always prefer axes. I feel like cataphracts are so tough. I don't really care that I'm going second. I'd rather have the AP two attacks. Oh, the sergeant does have a power fist. So you're gonna have a power fist, two chain fists, and the other two guys just have power weapons. You can give them whatever you want. But like I said, I like axes. Then the main thing. Imperial Fists just straight up allow you to buy, for 15 points, the ability to teleport with your Terminator squads. So this particular Terminator squad, I bought the teleportation transponder, so these guys don't need a transport. They can just teleport over, uh, which seems pretty fluffy for boarding warfare. You take the shields of the enemy ship down, you just you know zip over there via teleport, just like Pollux can do. And basically, if you deep strike in and teleport in, with these four combi plas, and you don't kill a unit of ten tac marines, and with the four combi plas and the assault cannon, assault. it you, you get your money back. I mean, like yeah, yeah. It's... Well, and the other the other nice thing, I like combi weapons on Imperial fists anyway, because usually, okay, so you buy the combi weapon, you shoot it once, and then you're just down to a bolter, which sometimes is a bummer on terminators because normally they get a twin link bolter, so they lose twin link basically once you shoot the combi. But the thing is, Imperial Fist, I'll get plus one ballistic skill for bolter weapons. So even though you lose twin linked, it's still your bolter is still BS5. So it's not, even once you fire that combi weapon off, you're not really that much diminished. So good. Yeah, it's really good. So then the fourth troop choice for the army is a squad that's exactly like the one I just said. So it's another five-man Terminator squad with four combi plas, assault cannon, uh, power fist on the sergeant, two chain fist guys, and 
you know, two power weapons and then the teleportation transponder. I love change. By the way, I'm putting power fists on the uh, sergeant in the Terminator squads for challenges because let's say somebody comes in with their Praetor. Um, you know, a lot of guys like running Paragon Blades, whatever. I mean, the Praetor is usually going to fight before you. He's going to challenge. You might as well accept because if you don't, you're not fighting back anyway. In the You have a four-up invul save, so very likely he's going to kill you, but it, <laughs> it's not totally uncommon. Like, I, I mean, I don't know what the percentage chance is, but I mean, I've definitely had it happen quite a few times where they roll like crap and then you make, you know, you make good on your four up saves and you're still alive. And then you fight back with that power fist and it really puts the pressure on them. Cause if one wound sneaks through, you're crushing that guy. Popping him. I mean, you, you can kill a, you know, a 200 point Praetor with this, you know, lowly sergeant with a power fist, which is kind of nice. Solid. So, so anyway, so that's the, that's four troop choices. So the fifth troop choice, um, is a 10-man veteran tactical squad. Um, this is cool because he already has tactical squads in his other army, or in his, yeah, in the other army list. So you could literally, you could use the same models if you wanted. You could uh, paint up new ones and make them fancier if you wanted. But uh, regardless, uh, this unit here, the sergeant has artificer armor and a power axe. Um, then one of the marines has a nuncio box. Uh Two of the basic guys have power axes, and then two of the guys have flamers. Um, then for the veteran tactic, I took a uh, sniper. So why this unit's good, for one, all the bolt guns in here get BS5, and then they're, they're sniper, so on you're likely to get a lot of hits, and then after you get hits, when you roll the wound, any sixes uh, become AP2, so they're really good at killing all kinds of stuff. Also, Sniper makes your weapons always wound on a four up, unless you would wound on something better. So if you're fighting against Castellax or um, Weapon Battery or anything with a really high toughness, these guys don't care. They're, they're going to wound them just like they would wound Marines. They wound on fours. And then, like I said, if you happen to hit sixes, you're ignoring armor. So these guys are extremely versatile. Um, I really like the Flamers on there because the Flamers gain the Sniper Rule 2. So if you can... Uh, on the turn that they come in uh, to play, we'll get to how what they're writing in here in a minute. When they come into play, if you get out and your opponent has stuff cluttered up, you can drop two flamer templates down that basically, you know, become their rending essentially. They become AP, you know, two on sixes to wound, which is very powerful. And then also, if this unit gets assaulted, you're getting you're automatically getting two D three. Uh, Flamer hits on them that on sixes to wound will become AP two. So they they're very makes it pretty hard to assault them, especially like a long charge because usually you'll kill a couple of the front guys with it. And then the other nice thing about veterans is their two base attacks and they they have a their primary weapon, their bolter, special weapon, whatever. But they also have bolt pistol and close combat weapon. So they're basically three attacks standing still, and if they charge, they're four attacks per guy. So let's just say you, they take the charge with the three power axes in this unit, that's still nine power axe attacks. Mm. Um, so they're not something you really want to tangle with an assault, and they're still you know very good shooting-wise. Now the one thing I didn't give these guys I normally do are the melt-a-bombs. It's weird, I noticed that 
I never noticed before because I'd always just given the entire unit Melta Bombs because it's only 25 points for veterans to do that. You cannot buy just Melta Bombs on a veteran tactical sergeant. He doesn't have the option for just Melta Bombs. So you have to either buy them for the whole squad or none at all. So once again, we're going back to that FAQ. They don't really need the Melta Bombs. You know, if the FAQ sticks, if, if the FAQ doesn't stick uh, and you can use as many Melta Bombs as you want, uh, we'll talk about we. Uh, this list isn't exactly 2,000 points. You got uh, 14 points floating. So what I would probably do is just take Artificer Armor off of the Tactical Sergeant or the Breacher Sergeant and then put Melta Bombs on the unit. Um, but right now they don't have them. So anyway, that's the tactical squad. So you, this 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 army is going to have five troop choices in it. So that's a very good amount of scoring units. Um, then for an elite choice, I took a uh, Contemptor Cordis, and he has a carries assault cannon, and then a power fist with a built-in melta gun, which seems very very much more equipped for what how like one would be for a boarding action, and also. You could basically reuse your same model. You could just get another arm. Um, I don't know if you've glued it or not, but even if you've glued it, you can uh, get that thing off there and then just magnetize the other arm and then swap back and forth so it you still can reuse your old model. And it's a little cheaper than the Mortis and the other one. If then you need, fast, if you oh, need an arm, let us know. We'll get you. Yeah, there. we can hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> so then for fast attack, you just have three Dreadclaw drop pods. So these are basically going to work like your other drop pods in your other list, except these fit the theme where they can actually board a ship. They drill their own hole, all that. Plus these are, they're more durable. And they also, people always laugh. Like I don't like, I've gotten pretty decent at using the fire sweep attack. I can't tell you how many times they've done amazing. I mean, killed hundreds of points in models at Adepticon. I played a game where I fire uh, fire swept uh, two vindicators and caught the also caught the end of a uh, five man Volkite Colvarin team. So I straight wrecked one of the vindicators, stunned the other one and put a hole point on it where it couldn't fire the next turn and killed two of the five marines and they broke and ran off the table with one fire sweep attack. So they're no joke. And the other funny thing I've I because I was thinking about this this list that I built for him doesn't have any anti-air in it. It's one of the weaknesses we'll get to here in a minute. Except there's nothing stopping you from fire-sweeping flyers. It just says in the movement phase, if you move over a model, it takes D6, strength 6 hits on its weakest armor. So if you're sneaky about it, you could actually, I mean, flying these things over a flyer, you know, like a lightning or something, it definitely doesn't want to get hit with that. It's in trouble because it ignores cover too. So if you fly one of these things over a lightning, it's likely killing it. That's so scary. Think about getting like, <laughs> if you're, like if you're a lightning pilot and three dread claws just like flew at you, just fire sweeping you. <laughs> God, it's terrifying. So the other thing that's nice about this list, uh, because it's not orbital assault, you're not forced to start in the drop pods if you don't want to. And, because Pollux and the Terminators that have the other two Terminator squads that have teleport, once again, they're not forced to. So you can start all this army on the table. You can start some of it on the table, put some of it in reserve. Um, and also because the Dread Claws are not dedicated, you can mix and match what units you put in there. So 
the two, if like, say you wanted to start everything in reserve, you're going to have to put the two teleporting Terminator squads in reserve. And then you'll probably put the Dreadnought in one of the drop pods, but then you have the Breacher unit, the Assault Terminator squad, and the Tactical squad, and you can decide which two to put in dread, drop pods, and then which one to attach to Pollux, and there's no, you know, right or wrong way to do it. You can actually, and you can decide all this during deployment. So if you go to an event, and you you have to run like all comer style, you know, and you run into different looks from your different opponents you see that day, you could literally run, you know, deploy your army differently every game if you chose to. You can just kind of look at the matchup and, you know, decide what's the best deployment for that particular matchup. Yeah, you see a whole bunch of drop pods in front of you, you know, to start on the table and get ready for them. Whereas if you yep. see a Typhon on the table, you know, to get Pollux in a unit and get ready to go beat face against that that type. Right. So this list that I wrote uh, is only 1,986 points, so there's 14 points you can play with War Gear. So if for whatever reason you just really don't like that Cordus Dreadnought and you want to go back to the Mortis, the Mortis is only 10 points more, so you could do that. Um, you know, just swap it if you want. Um, like I said, there's 14 points, so you could... Uh, drop like artificer armor and the uh on the breacher sergeant drop the power fist down to a axe and then get rid of artificer armor on one of the sergeants and put melt bombs on the veteran tacticals uh so there's there's a couple different options there for you depending on what you like or don't like about this list but this list here you know it uses your pollux it uses your one terminator squad that you had it uses your breachers it uses the tacticals. You can use them as veteran tacticals. The dreadnought's the same, you know, just with an arm swap, and you already have one dread call. So you literally only need um, maybe some arm swaps and two dread calls and ten termies, and you can swap your list over to this. And I think this is quite a bit more competitive, and I personally feel that it's fluffier for the reasons we stated going over the other list. What do you think, Michael? Dude, double whammy right there. For sure, man. It's definitely... I mean, competitive wise i can see where in just the different metas that i've seen so far like versus texas and chicago and all that like just looking at it competitive wise it's absolutely a more competitive army uh it's just out the gate just the way it's so much more maneuverable versatile there's a lot of things that you can change to the, there's you get a lot of options with it and every unit is going to be just i want to say two times more effective than it was in the previous list but on top of that if you're going for fluff wise this is fluffy i mean i see immediately you know everything down to the quartz's class dreadnought running through hallways and just lighting stuff up with the assault cannons while getting ready to beat the shit out of something and then you have the cataphracti terminator armor uh terminators just straight up deep striking teleporting in wherever the fuck they want on a ship so this list right here, I would never want to play this list in any sort of like tight, like close combat kind of situation just because of all the, the power fists and chain fists that I'm going to be looking down. But that that's the other thing I, I want to bring up. The, I maintained, I actually think this list, I didn't directly compare them, but it, the list that I wrote, I feel like has more shooting or at least the shooting is scarier in it. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the, the big thing is the assault. If you look at the assault, how much better this list is in assault 
you don't really want to tangle with any, like, let's say you put Pollux in with the breachers. There's really no, like, if you do that, you got the Cordis Contemptor with a power fist. You don't really want to be in assault with that. You got the veteran tactical squads. That's like, it's like 40, 30 or 40 attacks, depending on whether they're charging or taking the charge. And there's three power axes in there. Um, all the Terminators, you know, obviously Terminators are really good in assault. And then the Breacher Squad with Pollux in it, that's a lot of power fist attacks, and it's going to be tough to try to get through. So it's definitely very good in, in assault against most things. Yeah, it's good in assault. And then, of course, it is it is better in uh, in shooting. There, there's so much more scarier things in it. And one thing that I I would mention is your list doesn't have any apothecaries in it, but I feel like it's going to be such a painful turn that they're going to be hitting whenever they come in that you really don't need apothecaries because there shouldn't be any reason why you shouldn't be getting the alpha strike on most things. Well, so, that and and you're not getting any apothecaries, but you're going from five terminators to 15 terminators. So you're putting 10 more two plus armor saves in the army. So I feel like it's equal. It's, I don't think it went down on the toughness. Like I, and, and also because your guys can start in the dread calls, they don't have to get out. So let's just say you put the assault terminator squad, um, the dreadnought and, you know, the veteran, the veterans or the breachers, either one in the dread call in the, you're going to get two of those dread calls turn one, whatever you decide to bring in, they can stay in the dread call and jink and they have to get those dread calls open before they can shoot at your guys inside. So if they can survive, then your, your second wave comes in of your other dread call and all your teleporting stuff. And your, your army is still mostly intact, you know, to, to really hit hammer home on turn two, Just kicking which, is ass. A, which is exactly how I, I try to run my, my list that I took to Adepticon this year that I did pretty well with the salamander list. That's how it ran. It, it uh, almost everything that come in turn one basically didn't really do anything. I just kind of like hung out, you know, in their drop pods. They, but they were, I made it so they survived. And then on turn two, my stuff that came in on turn two had the shooting element to it. And then the things that came in on turn one were the assault thing. So you got hit with my assault wave and my um, shooting wave in turn two. And it overwhelmed a lot of people. It worked pretty well. So yeah, man. I mean, hands down, I like it. I mean, it's such a, it, it is a good, it's a good rebuttal to his list. And what's cool about it is the only thing that you need is two Anvilus drop clods, which I can see where that's going to be some money to, to pick those up. And then uh, uh, two Terminator squads. And I mean, they're Cataphracti. Ter- well, actually, it'd be one Cataphracti Terminator squad you need to get and some Tataras. That's only three units you got to pick up to make this list. And... Well, and, and, and the Tartarus thing, like it, it, I personally feel it's better, but it's not like a must-have. Um, that's an, he could save uh, 25 points just by making all the Terminators cataphracty, and if he doesn't want to buy more models, you know he can do that. And then with those 25 points, you can put melt the bombs on the veterans right there. So, it, you know, it's n- not a bad option. You know, if if he's tight on cash and doesn't want to buy more models. So you hear that variance hammer? So this is, I mean, it's as good as it's gonna get, buddy. And <laughs> to keep fluff wise and competitive wise, this is an absolutely great second list your first one yeah it's all right but this right here just give it a test run if you don't like it let us know 
we'll give you your money back. <laughs> but so yeah, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident in this list. I mean, Ryan, you did a great job. I feel like you're going to be getting a lot more lists like this. People are going to want you to just like completely overhaul their list. I feel like it's like they sent you in like a jalopy and you come out and you're just like, eh, did some work on it. Yeah, get like, my list. <laughs> try this out. I think you'd be, I think you'll like it. Well, keep, keep in mind with all this, that it's all, I mean, there's so many different metas, skill levels, play styles. Like there's really honestly no right way to do anything in 40 K and 30 K. So I basically just took your theme and you said you wanted to be fluffy. So I put fluff first and made the fluffiest, hardest hitting list I could under that criteria. But I mean, obviously there's some bias in there to my play style, which you may not like or whatever. So, I mean, if you don't want to use it, it's really no big deal. Um, like I said, you may or may not like it, but, um, and, and there's no right way to do it. So don't take my word as gospel. You know why you sent in this list. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, Hey, make this competitive shit. Done. <laughs> well, all right, guys. So that's that list. I uh, hope you other Imperial Fist players got some uh, got some use out of it. Definitely for you, Variance Hammer. Uh, appreciate you sending that in. If y'all have any other lists that y'all want us to go over, uh, just go and send them in to the Forgotten Legion thirty k at gmail dot com, or you can send it into Michael at Warhammer thirty k dot com or Ryan at Warhammer thirty k dot com, and uh, we'll go ahead and look at those lists and we'll go over them and maybe talk them live here or on the webcast. Uh, but that's going to be it, man. Uh, that's pretty much the end of our show. Uh, if, uh, I mean, do you have anything going out, Ryan? I mean, this is pretty much, pretty much that's done, it, man. That's it. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we'll go ahead and, uh, let y'all hear the sweet, sweet sounds of Laban's fate on the way out, but, uh, y'all have a good one guys. Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Later. <laughs>